0: All right, we are going live today with uh, the What Do You Believe Pentecostal podcast. It's going to be a great show. We're going to give a few moments here for everybody to start sharing this link. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Joe Y.rostic. I'm going to be uh, moderating the discussion today. It's going to be really fun and exciting for me. The link is up right now on the What Do You Believe uh, TV page right now. So if you just go to What Do You Believe Facebook, uh, you speakers can share it there if you want to have a chance to do that. I'm also sharing it right now with you guys here in the webinar. We'll give a few moments for everybody to come. While we're doing that, we will um, do the bios so that we can get a good solid recording. And uh, whoever misses some of this portion can come check it out either on the podcast through What Do You Believe TV, Our YouTube page and the two speakers will have that up. So we'll get to that in just a moment. But uh, we are live right now. And so What Do You Believe TV podcast is basically a relevant podcast for Pentecostals, which neither one of my brothers here today are baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues, as we would say Pentecostal and distinctive. But they are uh, giving us this opportunity to have the discussion. And what's uh, a unique thing about this is that Jason has a close friend that's with the Assemblies of God, and that's the branch of Pentecostalism that I'm uh, with. I'm not a denominational, but we have their same 16 fundamental faith uh, st- statements of faith. And then Eric goes to Assembly of God Church. So here's the way I would say it you know, if you look at what we got going on today, we have a Presbyterian priest up. that's a Clarkian, that's Jason. And if you know anything about Lord of the Rings, I would say the Calvinist, is also a Calvinist, I would say he's more like the Hobbit. Uh, The hobbits or excuse me. No, I'd say the dwarfs. I would say Calvinists are more like the dwarfs, the bearded kind of rugged guys. Uh, I would say um, my brother, uh, Eric, since he's not quite yet what we'd say speaking in tongues, having that Pentecostal experience, he would still be Baptist in some sense maybe Baptocostal one day, but I would say the Baptists, and he's a Molinist, non-Calvinist, I would say those are like the hobbits. I would say those are the sweet ones, like uh, latent Flowers, just nice and sweet. And then I would say the Pentecostals, if we're looking at this uh, this, uh, fellowship of the ring, we're like the elves, we're the cool ones, we're the (laughs) ones with the power. Now, who are the men? I'll leave that up to you guys to decide who that is. But that's just a fun way of looking at this discussion. That's enough about me. Let me uh, put a link up here so you guys can go to our website, whatdoyoubelievetv.com. We'll basically share with you all of what's going on today in a blog format. I love to do those kinds of things. I'll be sharing the screen now, so video folks, you guys will be seeing this. But uh, this link will now also be under uh, the chat for the Facebook as well, so people who come along You guys can uh, check this out and, uh, you know, stay tuned with us this way so that if you get lost at all, you can see what we're doing here. And I'm about ready to read their bios and underneath their uh, bios, you know, they didn't really need to do it, but I actually found them by the bio. So uh, I know we're all humble here, but really these are helpful because I heard uh, Eric Hernandez do his talk with Cy and that's how I found him. And then Jason Peterson did his talk with um, he did his talk with the Bible thumping wingnut guys one of their uh, branch podcasts. So these these are good things to know. Let me go through it here quickly. And uh, you'll notice which one is a little bit longer, and we'll just let that one speak for itself, but it's okay. So Eric Hernandez is with us today. He's the classicalist approach. Uh, today we'll be discussing classical apologetics versus uh, Clarkian presuppositional apologetics. Eric Hernandez is a dynamic young man, evangelistic, apologetically inclined minister has a passion for defending his faith on both theological and philosophical grounds. He's a licensed minister, a certified formation therapist, and a former instructor, at McDeal Bible Institute. sure I mispronounced that. He can correct that later. He is well-respected and sought after for his expository ability and his insight into apologetics, which he has taken to various countries and states that the Lord has led him to. Eric has spoken and debated on a public level at university and college campuses, where he adamantly and adequately defends the Christian faith against atheist, agnostic, and deistic professors of different worldviews. He holds an associate degree in social science, a bachelor's degree in theology, and a certificate of achievement. Those are awesome certificate of achievements in the study of a Christian, the study of Christian apologetics from Biola University. I should just mute these guys so they can't say anything to that. He's been basically called a, he's been called a hobbit, and he's got the certificate of achievement. And our Calvinist brother has been called a dwarf. This is okay. This is okay right now. This is normal. He's the founder of Eric Hernandez Ministries, which encompasses speaking engagements, apologetic seminars. Weekend training courses, debates, blogs, articles, and much more. He just debated uh, abortion on a college campus. Keep him in your prayers for this frontline ministry. He's debated Dillahunty and some of the big names out there as well. He's married to Kendall Hernandez, and they have two children, Addison Grace, and more recently Hudson's Ryan Hernandez, who's three months old at the time of this recording. So pray for him as he's a new family man. And then Jason Peterson, who has given us a short autobiography of his life his favorite colors long walks on the beach he's the gentleman that's pictured in our promotional wearing the pirate outfit and my wife who knows nothing about apologetic approaches when she heard that it was a classical versus a clarkian she thought jason was the classical and that when he does apologetics he dresses up like a pirate puts on this outfit and then he tries to uh, persuade people of the Christian faith. But let us honor Jason because uh, he's got quite a bit here, and I think it's helpful to get it out. Jason is an entrepreneur, investor, seminary student that was raised in the Christian home by loving Christian parents. He accepted Jesus Christ as a Savior at the age of eight. However, Jason, as a young adult, started to doubt the Christian faith for a time. At the age of 24, he found that he had ocular melanoma. He was told by a local doctor in Pensacola that there is a chance that it may have spread to his brain. Once he found out that he had cancer, he decided that if he was ever going to get answers to the big questions in life, he might as well start now. And that's powerful that he took this opportunity to do that. Jason read about religions, including Islam, Hinduism, and Christianity. He also read about atheists and the arguments that they have against the existence of God. He then became very interested in philosophy after being exposed to the works of Dr. William Lane Craig, who is also one of uh, Eric Hernandez's uh, role models in, in philosophy. This studying caused Jason to reaffirm his Christian faith, and he started debating and witnessing to atheists on social media and other websites on the Internet. One day while Jason was taking a long walk on the beach, you no, know, I'm just kidding, while Jason was in the waiting room for his first appointment, a serious thing here, sorry to make that a joke there, at the appointment at Callahan Eye Foundation in Birmingham, Alabama, he was reading a book called Creation Astronomy by Dr. Donald DeYoung. He, it then dawned on him, I'm 24 years old, and I'm already facing my mortality. But what about those who have not come to recognize the truth of Christianity? The question that he asked himself at Dr. Callahan's office plagued him throughout 2012. In December 2012, Jason did uh, finally did what he was feeling led to do. He started a ministry that he called Answers for Hope. He later launched the Rabid Clarkian blog and the Rabid Clarkian podcast in 2015, which I believe he got those nicknames from Sigh. Side 10 brooding cake. Over time, Jason became more interested in investing and personal finance, and he would love to be your financial guru and wanted to share what he had learned with other Christians. So if you're looking for financial advice outside of apologetic advice, he's there for you. 2016, Jason started Christian Investors Club. All those who have listened to this by recording have already fast forward through this. He started the Christian Investors Club in 2017. He started the counter-Christian culture uh, in retaliation to secularist increased influence in the U.S. culture. Shortly thereafter, he decided to combine all of his ministries and launch an author website, jasonlpeterson.com. And as you see here, I got the hot spots here for you guys to check it out. My children now are going into college. I have um, come close to the age of retirement since reading this, but it is helpful. It is worthwhile. Jason Peterson's apologetic is greatly influenced by the Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, and the late Christian philosopher, Dr. Gordon H. Clark, he did three years of undergraduate studies at Pensacola Junior College, which is now known as Pensacola State College in Pensacola, Florida. He also studied at George Stone Technical Center in Pensacola, Florida. He has completed the distance certificate and apologetics program at Biola University, which is located in, in La Miranda, California. He also studied at Columbia Evangelical Seminary for a short time period under Dr. Rick Watson and Dr. Phil Fernandez. Jason Peterson is currently learning how to simplify his bio, pursuing a Master of Philosophy at Whitfield Theological Seminary, which is located in Lakeland, Florida. I'm looking at Eric for a smile every now and then. It's okay to do so. Uh, He's pursuing a Master of Philosophy at Whitfield Theological Seminary, which is located in Lakeland, Florida. He's studying under Dr. Kenneth Talbot, a former student, of Gordon H. Clark. In July 2017, Jason published his first book, Apologetics Made Simple by God's Grace. This book has landed him among the top 10% of authors on Amazon. And last but not least, paragraph of this wonderful bio. I hope your lives have been encouraged and changed, and I mean that in all seriousness. In October of 2017, Jason was in a position to pursue his dream of financial independence to an entrepreneur lifestyle. This lifestyle would give him the time to write books and publish free content to help Christians share their faith and build wealth so they can give it to others. Blessed to be a blessing. Jason's second book, Building Wealth Made Simple, Biblical Advice on How to Grow Your Wealth, will be released sometime in January, 2018. Welcome, Jason and Eric Hernandez. Eric, let's just start with you, quick little update. How's everything going in life? Are you ready to get it on? Look for that on mute, brother. Yes,
1: gotcha. Can you hear me?
0: Yes. Did you enjoy his bio? Are you ready to take a long walk on the beach with Jason? Absolutely. Wonderful. Uh, Jason, are you ready to do this and have some fun? Put on your pirate's cap and uh, hit the hit the ship here of apologetics?
2: Sure thing, but I'm just sitting here wondering, if I'm the dwarf, then why is it that Eric is the one with the beard and I have the baby face?
0: That, that is a good point. That is a good point. Um, but yeah, I just I always just think of Calvin as kind of being the grunting, dwarf, bearded, drinking beer, making the mess kind of type thing, but but they're good fighters. And dwarfs and elves are almost total opposite, but they become friends in the end. All right, so what we're going to do now for the format of discussion, start I, at- i also f- say, too, really
1: quick, ahead. is that,
0: that yep. I am for, for speaking in tongues and do myself. So was, Oh, you do? Yes. Wow, that's awesome. So, dude, you are Pentecostal then. You are with the you're, you're with the elves. You've left you've left the hobbits behind. You've left you've left this the 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 simplicity of the Hobbit life, and now you are like owning folks with that bow glowing, doing some magical stuff with Jesus, right?
1: Amen. I'm moving from glory to glory. Amen. I love
0: that. Okay. From hobbits to glory. Yeah. I <laughs> could you just think of like Leighton Flowers, like he is the Hobbit, this this gentleman from the <laughs> Shire. He just wants to enjoy life. He just wants to get along, you know. Okay, here we go. The format discussion starting here at eight. We've done about uh 10 minutes here. We're right on time a little bit later than what I wanted to go with that layout, but that's okay. Jason wanted to make sure we knew how special he was. Uh, We're then going to start a back and forth, which I'm just going to throw this out. Nobody cares about me. They don't care about me. They want to see the two big guns here go at it. And we're just going to start that off with a simple question. Then we'll do some rapid fire. Hopefully I can ask some questions that maybe you guys are thinking Put them up there, because I know we may not be able to get to all of them. And then no matter what, from 9 to 9.20, we'll take your questions from Facebook and then allow them to close out and uh, go from there. Now, since I am a Pentecostal priest, uh, non-Calvinist, which that's an odd thing to be, I know, in this day and age, and and I can never make everybody happy. So I don't make the Pentecostals happy because I'm not legalistic. I believe in alcohol in moderation. Our church is led through the presbytery, the elders and deacons—not your typical pastor model of the Assemblies of God. So I kind of go away from them on that. Uh, I am non-Calvinist, but I love the reformers. I love their writings. I love uh, presup apologetics. But anytime I talk to a presuppositional, other than Jason, who's the nicest precept I've ever met, I'm never presup enough, which I don't understand. I've taught a whole class on it with Doctor Frame's book, but yet I don't think they—they they think he's precept enough. Anyways, but uh, here we are gathered together. I'm just going to hand it over to these guys. Since I am a precept, I'm going to give it first to Eric. Eric, why do you prefer the classical approach in apologetics compared to other approaches?
1: Uh, yeah. Um, uh, basically uh, for a few reasons, one, uh, um, because I think it's, 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 uh, it's logically uh, sound. It's valid. It's biblical. And that wasn't, that was not in any particular order. Uh, in case anyone wants to say something about that. But um, <clears throat> I, I believe that first and foremost, we, we serve a God who is a God of order, a God of logic, a God of reason. Hence, we find in scripture, it says that in the beginning was the logos. Um, so I, I've often said that everything that we do and believe must be uh, logically sound and philosophically coherent, which is to say that the greatest commandment says that we are to love God with all our minds. And that word mind literally means your intellect and the faculty of understanding. Um, because of that, because we serve a God that is an infinite mind, who is omniscient and all powerful and so forth, we should reflect that being made in his image. Uh, and because of that, I say that if anything that we do say or believe is not uh, uh logically valid or philosophically consistent or coherent then it cannot be from god because all things that come from god by his nature are going to be logical they're going to be philosophically consistent so our beliefs and our structure and our theology and our philosophy must be um uh uh logically sound um with that being said i have found other apologetic methods to uh Either be unbiblical or to not be logically valid, not logically sound there's contradictions within them, and I just don't think that those uh doing things like that uh it does not bring God any glory, and we should always seek to glorify God in that um, and then we can get into the philosophical reasons later um, uh, just I guess as we go along but but in a nutshell, it basically it's because I believe it, it's biblically consistent it's it's sound it's coherent uh it's philosophically uh, um, sound as well and, and all these other things that we can get into as we go into the discussion
0: so basically you believe it because it's biblical
1: well because it's biblical yes and um aside from that uh because uh, i i also probably where me and jason would disagree is because i don't believe that everything that's true necessarily has to come from the bible um so for example i believe in mathematics and arithmetic but i didn't get that from reading the bible so Uh, And also because we can believe that things are biblical, but if they are not logically sound, then they cannot be biblical given that the Bible comes from God. So if someone, for example, believes in physicalism as opposed to substance dualism um, or someone believes that, uh, for example, I don't hold to the view of uh, annihilationism, which is a view that um, that after death, after the judgment, those who are not saved are destroyed by God out of and annihilated out of existence. They will claim they believe that it because it's biblical, but I would argue that within God's character, it's not logically coherent. So even though they would claim they believe it because it's biblical, I would argue that it's not biblical. And on top of that, it's also not logically valid. It's not sound. It's not coherent uh, philosophically. So I, I would say because it's both biblical and philosophically coherent, consistent and logically, logically sound as well.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Let's hand it over to Jason for just kind of an opener, tossing the ball to you. Why do you prefer the Clarkian presup approach compared to say what Jason, uh, what Eric was just saying or other apologetic methods?
2: Well, I'd say, first off, I'm not, I'm, oh, am I, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Okay, cool. First off, I'm not here to bash any particular method of apologetics. I think that Christians have a lot of options. I have seen God use uh, classical apologetics after all, the start of my coming back to God, uh, involved William Lane Craig, who's, who is considered a classicalist apologist. So I, you know, so I don't really, I'm not really here to bash that. Uh, I I've, I've seen God use it. I've seen God use Sides and Bruggencade. I've seen him use it apologetics. I've also seen them use Clarkian apologetics. Um, so I always tell people, you know, you want to study, uh, but you want to use what you're comfortable with. For instance, if you're a scientist, uh, that's a creationist and, uh, you know, you may want to focus in that area and, and write more material in that area, um, but I'm, you know, but me, I'm a, I'm a systematician. I try and develop a framework where I can, I can demonstrate the conclusions that I'm arguing whenever I'm speaking in particular about epistemology. Um, everyone starts somewhere whenever they, whenever they, do, whenever they build a philosophical system. In order to have a conclusion, there has to be some prior proposition. Otherwise, you're just question begging. Um, and so I consider myself a Christian dogmatist. I recognize that I have some biases going in, and I recognize my opponents do too. Um, but the way Clarkians dialogue is really simple, and it's a way a lot of other uh, people dialogue too. This is not necessarily unique to Clarkianism. But what we will do is is we'll come in the discussion. We'll understand that a lot in a lot of discussion there are some common presuppositions between two differing views. One of them most commonly being logic. So what we will do is we will. We will test the other worldview for logical consistency. We'll use a law of contradiction. We'll show how the unbelieving worldview leads to self contradiction. Then we'll present the Christian worldview. And then we'll show that the Christian worldview is logically consistent. And then once that is done, they can, we'll try and compel the unbeliever to accept the Christian presuppositions and then pervert to Christianity. Um, in some ways, that's not very different from what the classicalists do. Uh, I would like to say too that you can you can see an example of of what of this with Paul in Acts 17 whatever he quotes the the Greek poets uh, he says in him we live and move and have our being even as some of your poets have said for we are indeed his offspring being then God's offspring we ought not to think that a deity is like gold or silver or a stone or representation by the art and imagination of man so what Paul is showing here is that we li- that uh, our god dictates everything that happens in this world. And these these Greeks, they listen to their own poets, but their idols are of gold and stone. They have idols. You can't be inside the idols. So then you have, so then you have them showing look, we can grant your presupposition, this is what a Clarking would do. We'd grant what you're saying, but your what you're saying here is not actually contradict actually contradicts some of the other parts of your worldview. So I think that's a good example of this. Um, as for uh, what Eric said about my own view, uh, we'll, probably just, we'll probably just get into that. But that's really all it is. It's very simple. We just, we just test the other worldview for a lot of consistency. We ask for them to grant our first principle. We grant theirs. We take it for a test drive, just like what Greg Koppel says in tactics. Um, and, we will, and then we'll show how it leads to self-contradiction. Then we'll present the Christian worldview and just say, uh, you know, our view is consistent. Why don't you just come over to our side?
0: Yeah. So I want you just to think about this, um, Eric, as we get to you, because for me, it's a bit confusing. We, we actually had a discussion on Leighton's page and, um, and I got your chat here. So, yes, the video changes uh, as people speak. When you and Layton were discussing this as the kind of the after show from you and Cy, it seemed like um, you had almost gotten the impression that because people are presuppositional, that that means they're only going to state their presupposition and then basically just kind of leave it like that. Like you didn't think it was like a well-rounded apologetic that would really be broad enough. Right. I mean, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but I'm just trying to get this started. Can you address some of those things you and Leighton were talking about?
1: Um, Yeah. uh Yeah. I guess I'm not too sure what you mean by I didn't think it was well-rounded.
0: Um, yeah, I remember you saying, like, like if we were dealing with a Muslim, you're saying, uh, I remember you guys saying something like, what do you do? Just shout at each other, saying, I'm, I'm presuppositional Muslim, I'm presuppositional Christian. This was like in your three-hour one that you had with them, not the one that I was on, but the one that came afterward. It, there was like points of actual confusion where, where Leighton was saying, what, what do precepts do who don't accept their they're a precept. Do they just argue, you know, and say you don't even have the right to use math unless you acknowledge my God? There seemed to almost be like an uh, what well, we would say a misunderstanding to how we hold them to the Romans 118 and, and this idea that they already know that God exists in some way. Um, and you were basically saying that I don't want to take that approach. I don't want to assume things. I don't want to take the interpretation of Romans to mean that. I want to come broader. I want to meet more on neutral ground, more like in reasoning. And it almost seemed um, like you thought the presup was too focused just on presup. I mean, if I'm getting it wrong, just, just take it in whatever direction you uh, want.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, first thing I'd probably say is I've never, I hear a lot of times um, the accusation lodged, and I'm not saying you're doing it, but in general. Uh, that someone who, like myself, is a classicalist always appeals to some kind of neutral ground. I don't think I've ever even used that phrase, and I really don't even know what it would mean to say that we start on, or that I'm claiming we start on neutral ground. Um, I I think in some sense, sure, we're starting on neutral ground in the sense that both I and the atheist exist. I mean, that's a neutral thing that we have in common. Um, As far as uh, uh, the way in which... um, Presup was presented. I think we're speaking specifically in the in the kind of presuppositional apologetics that Saiten Bergenkate would use, which, uh, from what I understand, Jason is is not that genre of presuppositional apologetics, uh, which I appreciate. Um, So, in reference to someone like uh, Sai at least that flavor of pre-sub apologetics, they would say something like, well, you don't grant the unbeliever things like knowledge or you don't grant them the tools of logic, et cetera, et cetera, because they come from God and because they don't or they profess to not believe in God, they cannot have and we should not grant them these tools. And aside from uh, people listening can go back and watch the show that I did with Cy or uh, the one I did with Layton. Uh, that is confusing epistemology with ontology. But setting that aside, if you're going to say that we cannot grant the unbeliever these tools that come from God, then you can't grant the unbeliever literally anything at all, including existence itself. So some a point Leighton made that I thought was uh, relevant and good, uh, and I think made it, made it better than I did, is, is, well, for example, so if I'm talking to an atheist, as the kind of presuppositional apologist that Psy is, and the atheist begins to talk, and I say, wait a minute, Mr. Atheist, uh, if God doesn't exist and you shouldn't have a tongue, or the reason you have a tongue is because God exists, so unless you profess that God exists, or unless uh, you you acknowledge that, I can't grant you anything at all, not even your tongue, and when he begins to speak, you say, "Uh -uh, nope, nope, you're still using your tongue, try again, and and it just seems like you're not going to get anywhere with that type of reasoning or with that uh, a basis. Uh, so that's one of the reasons I reject that kind of presuppositional apologetics.
0: Jason, did you want to hit on that? Because I know you're open to using evidence and, and, and Van Till was as well as I've been listening to Bonson. I have these links on the blog. Uh, Bonson did these talks that met Westminster theological A podcast put up there. And his uh, last one, the fourth one was really dispelling some of these myths about Van Til. So that's where I'm actually a little bit confused myself about like a sigh where he kind of almost mocks evidence. Uh, We don't have to get on to him. But uh, even though you grant evidence, would you still do it in the way that um, Eric would or a William Lane Craig would? Or would you take some of what I would call the sassy sigh approach, uh, approach and start saying to them in the conversation, you, I can't grant you anything until you at least acknowledge either your contradiction in your own worldview or that my worldview is superior. I mean, how do you deal with this kind of golf at the starting point?
2: Sai's so a good friend of mine and he's not here to defend himself. And we do, he and I do have disagreements and we've talked about them both in person and over social media and Skype. Um, sai's so actually not. Totally against evidence. He just think he just has a different way of looking at it than than maybe a classicalist would. Uh, but I'd really I'm more interested in talking about my view of evidence than science. Um, so I'll just say what I do is um, there are there are evidences for Christianity. I think that the for instance the board gives the Lincoln theorem, which is often cited by Craig and other classicalists. Whenever giving the the, uh, cosmo, the cosmological argument, I think that's a really interesting theorem, and I think it supports what Scripture already says about there being a beginning and that god that God caused this beginning for our universe you know genesis 1 one um, I don't have a problem with using that, but I would definitely say that it should be subserving it to scripture I would argue I would show I, the way I knew things to be true is through special revelation, and the reason why I take that particular position is because apart from special revelation, like if you take an empirical approach like the scientific like a like scientists take there's not really a way to discern a true proposition from a false one in order to escape the problem of skepticism which is how do you know anything is true you have to be able to show how you know something is true and empiricism has failed to do that for multiple reasons that we may get into as eric and i go back and forth um but i but i go with special revelation because god being omniscient and him not lying titus one two i know that whatever god says is true so i start with the word of god Whenever in my in my philosophical framework, in fact, I start with a proposition: the Bible is the Word of God. Um, as far as evidence goes, I can use evidence to supplement that. And I've actually there's been a lot of apologetic encounters I've had, especially in person with people that's not that don't seem to be overly antagonistic to Christianity. Well, I'll sit there and I'll share the evidence with them. I'll tell them about the, the board gets the Lincoln theorem and how it shows that an eternal universe is not possible. And I'll show them the anthropic cosmological principle. I'll talk about that, about the cosmic fine tuning of the universe and how hard and how how improbable it would be that a universe would arrange itself in a way that would permit life. I have no problem talking about that, as long as the context is right. I just don't want to elevate the evidence above the word of God. And I think most classicalists don't do that. I think the most classicalists recognize the importance of the Bible. And I think, you know, I think William Clayton Craig does too, especially when he appeals to the internal witness of the Holy Spirit, even in the absence of his if his all of his arguments were refuted. Um, so you just, it's just gotta when you're dealing with the, you know, there's different kinds of class lists, and you just gotta, you know, probe a bit and see where they're at in order, you know, or to see if they uh where they where they hold evidence in comparison to scripture.
0: Uh Eric, do you wanna start off then where we were going into our, our message um, privately leading up to this, because it seems like you had some questions about this approach where I know for myself, I'm like totally supportive of what you do. I'm totally supportive of Craig and all of them as a up I know Jason is, so you're getting from us like this totally different vibe you might've got in times past, but it does seem like there are some real disagreements. And, and one of them seems to be that uh, Jason, as well as other presuppositionalists, are dogmatic in Scripture as the truth, like what they call scripturalists or dogmaticists, Christian dogmaticists. Do you have a problem with that, or do you actually grant that to us going, that's, that's awesome, that's where I start too, I just have a different way of showing. I have a knowing as a Christian dogmaticist, but my showing is different, like, or do you just think that's not the right way to go?
1: Um, well, uh, I guess I, w- I would need a little bit more clarification because uh, w- when you say you start with scripture, I would ask in relation to what? Like I said earlier, um, I'm I'm familiar with, with mathematics, arithmetic, uh, but I don't start with scripture there. So if the claim is that we must start with scripture for every instance of knowledge, then I would say that the very claim that we should start with scripture for every instance of knowledge is itself not starting with scripture because scripture doesn't say that. So I would say at that point, it's, it's logically inconsistent and self-defeating. Um, as far as uh, um, the role of evidence, if we can only gain knowledge by special revelation, then what role would evidence play if God has not granted this special revelation to this person? Then it doesn't matter what evidence you uh, uh, supply them with or what would be the point of that at all. Um, and then, of course, uh, I'm, and I'm sure Jason would have an answer for this and I'd like to hear uh, w- what about people like Job who had no scripture, had no Bible? Job is considered the book of antiquity, the first book of the Bible ever written. So where, uh, how would they start with scripture when there was no scripture? So these are some of the issues I have with up uh, uh, in general is that it, it, in many instances, it's, it's self-defeating. It's, it's lacking. It's inconsistent. And, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. I just mean that in a, in a pure academic way. Um, uh, I heard a saying once that we – our heart cannot, um, our minds, uh, excuse me, our heart cannot embrace what our minds regard as nonsense. So if, if, uh, uh, for example, and, and, and I'm sure I'm going to step on somebody's toes, so I guess I'll just start stepping. Uh, uh, with all love and respect to my Catholic brothers and sisters, um, I can't accept some of their doctrines because my mind regards it as nonsense, and thus my heart cannot embrace it. I would say the same applies with uh, any other uh, philosophical, theological concept or doctrine. If, if I find it to be illogical, then there's no way I, I, I can adhere to that. And, and I think we shouldn't um, uh, make or, or hold atheists to adhere to something that is not logically consistent either.
0: All right, Jason, you guys don't need me. Let's go. Come on. Bring out them big guns.
2: I didn't write down all of Eric's questions, but I'd be happy to answer them. Eric, can you repeat your first question so I can respond to it?
0: Uh, if I can remember it.
1: <laughs> oh, I thought you had it uh,
2: written down. I'm sorry. I thought you were reading it off.
1: Uh, well, I was reading. Some, uh, let's see. I guess one of the things was about scripture. If you hmm. if you start with scripture, are you are you implying that you start with scripture with respect to every single instance of knowledge? Okay, so let me first start
2: out by defining knowledge in the Christian world. In the in the, no, well, not every Christian defines knowledge the same. So let me define knowledge in the Clarkian sense. Knowledge is defined as the possession of the truth. Okay, so that's – so whenever I'm saying knowledge, that is what I'm referring to. Now, when you're building a philosophical system, in order for you to start talking about ontology and ethics and other things, you have to first be able to avert the problem of skepticism. So what I do is I start with the – action. the Bible alone is the word of God. The Bible is defined as a propositional revelation of the 66 books of the Protestant canon.
1: Okay, can I interrupt real quick?
2: Uh, sure, as long as I still get to do my presentation.
1: Uh, absolutely. absolutely. I'm just so, – so you're saying you st- – in, in order to, because I'm trying to write down as you go, you're saying in order to have knowledge, you have to start by being able to refute skepticism?
2: No, what we're doing whenever we're starting with this axiom is this is our first, this is our first principle we're starting with. We're, building, we're working to build a philosophical system that, that actually can answer the problem of skepticism so that we're not stuck in epistemological skepticism. For instance, a, a, a worldview, a framework that cannot answer the question, how do you know that, you, that what you believe is true? is going to result in epistemological skepticism, where no one can know anything at all. That's what Clarkians are trying to avoid when they build their system.
1: Yeah, uh, okay, so, so you're not starting with Scripture. You're starting with the premise that, uh, of a different axiom, which aims to answer the problem of skepticism.
2: The axiom that I have is a Bible is the Word of God. Is that, is that what you're – I'm sh- not sure exactly what you're asking.
1: I guess I guess I'll just run off by using the word that you have to first be able to answer the problem of skepticism.
2: Yes, that's our goal going in, but that's that's something that's different from the action that we're starting with. That's just our goal. Whenever we start building our philosophical system, that's not itself an axiom. The Bible, the Bible is the Word of God is our axiom. That's where we start.
1: Uh, okay, so no. so then I guess the second thing you do. Not the first. The second thing you do is you answer the problem of skepticism, which which I disagree with. But I'll, I'll let you finish the presentation.
2: Well, that's what we have to do, and that's what any any philosophical system would have to do. For instance, if you're a classicalist and your worldview does not allow you to know the premises and the conclusions of your argument, then your then your worldview would would collapse into epistemological skepticism. So even you have to, have to answer that question when you begin to do your philosophical framework. You know that you're going to use to demonstrate that God exists, because if you can't you can't demonstrate that what you
1: know is true, then you can't demonstrate that God exists either. Uh, I mean, I, I th- that, there's a few things you're saying that I'm, that I'm disagreeing with. Like, for example, I don't think you have to uh, have, as as a starting point, you have to be able to answer how do you know. This would go into the different fields of epistemology, and in, in epistemology, you have what, uh, what I would consider myself a particularist, where, well, let me start with saying this, in, in epistemology, you have essentially two dominant task one is what is it that you know and the second is how do you know this now as a particularist i start with particular instances of knowledge and then on that basis i then go to formulate how it is that i know it whereas you reverse the order as as what is called an epistemology a methodist not in in sense of the denomination but in the epistemological sense you're a methodist in that you have to first start with the method of how do you know something, or how do you know that you know something, and then go on to how to, to what you know. And on my position, that that order is that that's not the correct order. You start with what you know, and then you can infer criteria. Because this is essentially the problem of criteria. Uh, of how do you know what you know?
2: That's not really, I don't agree with that representation of my position, okay which I haven't, I don't think I've been able to really even answer your first question uh, because I guess that interjection, but um, I'm starting with an axiom, just like everyone else does, just like you do. Do you agree that you have a first principle?
1: Uh, a first principle of yeah, what?
2: Yeah, whenever you start, because in order to have a conclusion, you have to start somewhere. Uh, okay. Do you agree with
1: that? Sure. Uh, yeah, for okay. the most part.
2: Okay. All right. So, and that's what I'm doing. I'm just stating my first principle. Um, uh, I, I don't. I don't really agree with the with the representation that you're giving. Um, so, but I would like to answer your, your first question, I think, which was, you're saying, well, if you're starting with the Bible, what about logic and mathematics? That was your first question, right?
1: Um, it, the question was basically, when you say that you start with scripture, are you referring to every instance of knowledge? And, and to answer your question of what do I start with, I guess the first principle that I and I think any and everyone has to start with is the principle that you exist, because in order for you to have thoughts, you must first exist. So the first principle that anyone must start with is not per se scripture, but ontologically speaking is first the axiom and principle that I exist.
2: What could you deduce from the proposition that I exist? How would you get logic from that?
1: I didn't say you you deduce logic from you exist, and I'm saying that's what you start with as a principle…
2: But that's kind of a metaphysical claim, isn't it? I mean, we're talking – I'm talking about epistemology here, and the proposition of I exist seems to be a metaphysical claim. So whenever you say I exist, I'm asking you, like, for instance, how do you go from I exist to God exists? How do you do that?
1: Um, well, I guess I don't do it uh, directly, saying I exist, therefore God exists. I, I don't do that. But but I guess that's kind of what I, was, what I was wanting to get clear is when you say you start with Scripture, are you referring – to only things that concern theology and spiritualness, are you talking about every instance of knowledge? Um, well, this
2: is why what I was saying about knowledge is important. Recall my definition: knowledge is the possession of the truth. That means that there are there are things that you might that are knowledge that you might that you might believe. Now, what I want to do is build a philosophical system where I can discern which of these propositions are knowledge. Uh, but a lot of people, though, like even atheists, you know, and you're talking about logic and mathematics, a lot of atheists can do logic and mathematics, they so just can't account for it. I want to be able to account for those things, and I can do so using scripture. Uh, so if you can't account for the things you believe, then you have what I call a disjointed philosophical system. Uh, it's better to have a system where you can make a, a claim and be able to demonstrate that claim than to have one where you make a claim that, that is that is true, but you don't know how to account for it.
1: So, so are, you, are you implying that if I cannot account for what I believe, I can't claim to know it, or I can't know exactly. it? Exactly. Okay. Um, then I guess a, a, a toddler, a three-year-old, four-year-old who has knowledge, who clearly knows things, but perhaps lacks the ability to articulate these things, are you claiming that they can't have knowledge in virtue of the fact that they cannot articulate it?
2: Well, they would have knowledge because even a disjointed proposition that is true is knowledge, like what you and William Lane Craig saying. There's a difference between knowing something and showing it. I'm sure you would agree with that because I think you said that in the debate with sign.
1: Well, so, y- yes. agreement there. so so I guess, so I guess then, I, then that, that confuses me to what you're saying because if you're saying that unless I can show it and I can't know it, I'm saying I can know it even if I can't show it.
2: I'm not saying I'm not saying that if you can't show it, you can't know it. You might know a proposition, but in order to, to engage in a philosophical discourse, if you want to defend your position, you have to be able to account for your claims.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, I, I guess I could agree with that, but you didn't say that up front. I guess maybe that, that would be the disclaimer to what you're saying, so I guess you couldn't was, say just…
2: I was going to get there, but you had a question, so I had to stop to answer it. OK, go ahead. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go get yeah, let's
0: let him finish if we can go ahead and just say it for a little bit, because this may be a good place to, to get your thoughts together, Jason. Thank you.
2: So you want me to keep talking?
0: Yeah, just sum it up in a way that can kind of answer some of his questions sure. so that you can build because you have a way of saying it that you shared yeah. with me. that I think he needs to hear. It would be helpful oh, to I move forward to, say
2: to you, to be honest, but I'll, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so um, it's, it's just like geometry all right, whenever you learn a theorem, or when you learn an axiom, or, well, rather, a theorem, when you learn a theorem, you learn it before you can demonstrate it, so it's just the same thing with epistemology, but when you have to possess a truth before you can demonstrate that it's true, Um, so there are, so there are instances where we might come to to a proposition that is true, and then later on, we learn how to demonstrate it, the same thing in epistemology, and the way I look at it when building a philosophical framework, Someone may come, for instance, to the proposition that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, they may not, they may, uh, argue evidentially you know using inductive methods which is invalid uh so while they use so while they do believe that jesus rose from the dead you because they use induction which doesn't guarantee the truth of the conclusion and is therefore an invalid inference uh they may have they may um they may they may know it but they can't show it but maybe later on they learn that they can show it from scripture and then they're able to demonstrate it Uh, and it's just the same thing with geometry and logic and i actually would submit that you can that there's a there's a lot of um ways to demonstrate logic from scripture and mathematics in fact uh for mathematics jc jc keister or keister i think it's keister is the way it's pronounced wrote an entire uh academic paper on all of the mathematical operations that can be deduced from the scriptures now we may some may be able to do mathematics but you can't demonstrate it in an unbelieving worldview uh, but with the bible you can demonstrate uh we we can demonstrate mathematics contrary to what m- many people believe
0: Eric, here's what I'm hearing, and then maybe you can come back and you guys can keep going. Here's what I'm hearing you say. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're basically saying, apart from Scripture, but not apart from God, I can have knowledge. Is that what I'm hearing you say?
2: That's right. And the reason why we start with Scripture because that's what God has given us. Now, there was a question, too, about how. Yeah. Uh, the Jew, the ancient Israelites, could know things before they had Scripture. Well, they had prophets for that. The medium of revelation, uh, our primary means of revelation, is no longer prophets. It is it is Scripture. So, you know, if you were a, a first century Jew uh, or some, you know, or if you were, you know, in the Old Testament times and you didn't have possession of the Bible, you might you might uh, you know have to, you might have to start with the prophets or something or the apostles. Uh, yeah, and that
0: so, yes, sorry to interrupt. And I just want to address this to Eric. So Eric, if you were on an island that you were kidnapped and placed on, how would you ever know the the age of that island? Or, you know, let's say there was buildings. How would you ever know unless you had a revelation? Unless uh, Unless someone told you. So how can we know for sure anything in the natural world unless we base it in God's revelation? That to me would be an obvious thing a Christian would believe. Uh, why don't you believe that? I mean, I want you guys to keep going back and forth, but that's my question here. Why wouldn't you just say, of course, we can't know anything without God. But I don't know, are you saying we can know it without scripture, but not God? So you're cool with saying, I, I, I need God to know everything, but maybe not necessarily black and white revelation. Can you help us understand your point there, uh, Eric? Um, well, I, I
1: guess this, I would have to bring up the question or objection that I gave to Cy, in that, uh, if you say I can I can't know anything without God, then we're no, no longer talking about epistemology. Uh, for those who may be unfamiliar, so epistemology is a study of knowledge, it's a study of of what is knowledge and how it's obtained. Ontology is a study of what exists or or how things are grounded and why they exist. So, um, if I'm talking epistemology, I'm talking about how I know something, and I'm talking about what I know. But if I'm talking about um, Ontology, I'm, I'm talking about why, why what I know exists. So, for example, um, if you ask me if I believe that 2 plus two, 2 equals 4, you're asking me an epistemological claim. And I would say, yes, I, I know that and I believe it and I can show why. So, every math test that you take is a question of epistemology on how you know something and what it is that you know. But no mathematical test will ever have a question that says, Why does the number two exist, assuming in the first place you believe in abstract objects and that numbers exist? But my point here would have to be that I can have epistemological claims, claims of knowledge, without making ontological commitments. So I can say that two plus two equals four, which is an epistemological claim, without making an ontological commitment as to why or where or how the number two exists. So if you're asking, can I know anything without God? I would ask if you're asking epistemically. If you're asking epistemically, then sure, uh, um, an atheist does not believe in God. He does not make an epistemic claim or knowledge about knowing God, and yet he still has knowledge. Um, So, yes, people can know and believe things without believing in God or having a personal relationship and knowing God. But if you're asking, can anyone have any knowledge at all if God did not exist? And no, because. Nothing would exist if God did not exist. He is the reason for everything that exists in the first place. So the first thing we'd have to clarify is are we talking still about knowledge or are we talking about why things exist in the first place?
0: Jason, <laughs> Jason, will you, see, will you help Eric right here? Because I feel like this is what Eric said to me. When we were talking to Leighton. Bro, I, I want to tag team him right now. I don't even want it to be fair. Come on. I don't Set work. him up, bro. Set up. him. Show him the truth of pre-sub. Come on, Jason, <laughs> you're being too shy, man.
2: No, I, I just, like I, like I said before, you know, in the conversation leading up to this, I'm not here to beat up on anybody. Um, I'm just here to get my position and defend it. Um, but I will say this. In order to talk about claims of metaphysics or ontology, you have to be able to answer the question, how do you know those things about metaphysics and ontology in the first place? If you cannot answer that question, then your philosophical system is disjointed. And I think this is the problem that the classicalists have in a lot of instances. Eric, I remember you telling me that you can demonstrate that that you believe you can demonstrate that God exists apart from the Bible. Am I correct in in that representation?
1: Uh, uh, Yes, but um, uh, but, but back to my point is that uh, I don't start with showing how I know something. I can start with what I know, and I don't have to make ontological claims in order to make epistemological claims because I wouldn't tell somebody you can't know that the number two is even without telling me why the number two exists. I mean, a, 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 someone in second grade who has never thought about metaphysics or abstract objects or why or if numbers exist, still know that the number two is even. So I, I don't think you have to start with why something or how you know something exists in order to have knowledge about it.
2: Well, I mean, in the philosophical realm, you know, and even when you debate with atheists, whenever people, you know, and you can look at Greg Hochul's book, Whenever people make a claim, don't you want – in a philosophical discourse, don't you want them to know how they know what, what they're claiming is true?
1: Uh, yeah, but th- that, that's epistemology, not ontology. Uh, uh, that's,
2: not, that's where I'm at, though, is epistemology. That's where this discussion has to begin is epistemology, not ontology or metaphysics.
1: Uh, I, I don't know if I, I said it be- – again, I, we would have to clarify what we're talking about because ontologically speaking, you know, in order for me to have beliefs or knowledge at all – I have to exist and have a mind. Without how that, that, how do I know what?
2: How do you know that you have to ha- exist and have a mind in order to be able to have knowledge?
1: Well, well see, this goes, back, this goes back to a, a position that I disagree with. You're asking from a Methodist perspective that I first have to answer how I know before I can know anything. But if you think that we need a method of answering how I know anything before I can claim or show that I know something, then you lead to an infinite regress. Because if you ask me how do I know I would only have to ask you, how do you know that I have to know? And then we would just go back and forth and we would never get anywhere. So if we always have to start with how I know, then you'll always be asking that question and you'll never know anything on your position.
2: No, because I have an axiom. That's where it starts. That's where it stops is the axiom. I don't have an infinite regress problem of any kind.
1: And then if I asked, how do you know that that's your axiom? or How do I know your axiom is true? Then you would say, I'm assuming that you don't have to prove it or you don't have to, yeah, I don't um, have to
2: demonstrate an axiom. No one can demonstrate their axiom because it's the first principle. If there was a principle that preceded it, logically speaking, then that would be the first principle, not the one that they're saying is the first principle in the first place.
1: Right, right. But so, uh, so you you start. But let me ask this: and you start with the belief that you exist. I- I'm assuming, right? I don't even like the
2: word exists. I think it, I think it's a predicate that's meaningless. Uh, okay. Yeah, I don't. I, the word exist. I mean, what does it mean not to exist? No one can conceive of that. I don't yeah, know, of whatever. course you if could exist. I, I don't know what that even means.
1: Uh, well, well, to exist is the is, is, is the possession of properties. It, it, what well, some that exists possesses at least one property. I mean, we, we can define existence and we know what existence is. But uh, I, I guess I mean use whatever word you like. But I'm sure you know what I'm, I'm getting at. Do you start with the belief that you exist or that I, I wouldn't? I guess no, if you don't like the word exist. What no, what I mean, do you? If
2: you start with the belief that you exist, you'll wind up in epistemological skepticism. You can't infer anything from that concerning logic, or, or uh, you can't build, You really can't build a philosophical system from that through valid inferences. How would you deduce things like logic and inference from that?
1: I, I'm not saying you have to deduce logic and, and that from the position you exist. I'm saying just before you can – I mean obviously you have to exist before you can do anything.
2: Well, I mean I'd ask you how you know that.
1: Because if you didn't exist, there would be no you or thoughts or doubts. In, or, in other words, if I, if I have thoughts, then there first has to be an I that exists in order to possess these thoughts. Without me, there are no Eric's thoughts. So in order for Eric's thoughts to exist, it has to be grounded in Eric himself. So, well, that, so you're saying that Eric would have to exist if they were
2: Eric's thoughts? Right. So, I mean, is this, is this something that you would view that is like a,
1: a, a Cartesian position? No, I'm not saying that's how I know I exist. That would be a Cartesian position. Well, that's I'm where saying. I'm getting
2: at because I want to – we have to start – again, I know you disagree with this, but I haven't really gotten, I, I guess, a reason from you about why I'm approaching this the wrong way. Maybe you've given me one, and I'm just not – and maybe because our positions are different, I'm just not seeing it. Uh, but in order for you to say that – when you make it – whenever you dialogue, in a, you have two philosophical systems that are competing with each other, okay? And like when you're vague and atheist, if – if you say God exists, uh, yeah, I know that God exists, the atheists want to ask, "What? well, what's your evidence? And why are they asking that? Because they want to know how you know that God exists, right? Uh, well,
1: was that rhetorical?
2: Well, I'm just saying that that's, that's really – that's that's what takes place in those kind of discussions, is it not?
1: Uh, well, well, when we're talking epistemology, if you're making a truth claim, you bear a burden of proof. So the atheist is perfectly fine in asking – for evidence or for a reason or justification for your belief, because anytime you make a claim to truth, you, you bear a burden of proof.
2: So you think that when you make a claim in a philosophical, in philosophical discourse, you need to be able to justify that claim in order for it to hold, right?
1: I mean, I think in order to have any belief and be rational, you have to be able to justify it.
2: Okay. And that's exactly what I'm, that's exactly what I'm, I'm getting at here, because when you justify something, it's not a matter of metaphysics, it's a matter of epistemology.
1: Yeah, I, I never so said I it was something.
2: That's what I. that's where I'm getting at here. That's why we have to have a system, a philosophical framework that allows us to be able to demonstrate the claims that we're making.
1: OK, but but you're talking about it sounds like you're purely talking about debate or philosophical discourse. I'm talking about just having knowledge. I can have knowledge even if I've never debated or, or engaged in any philosophical discourse. So I don't see how being able to uh, defend your claim is a criteria for having knowledge.
2: Well, I don't say it's criteria, but if you're going to call something knowledge, you better well be able to demonstrate it.
1: That, that, that's where, I guess that's where we disagree. That,
2: how else are you going to convince? How else are you going to show the person that the belief that you have is true?
1: Well, we'll see now, but again, now we're talking about two different things on one, on the one hand, you're talking about having knowledge. Now on the other hand, you're talking about trying to convince somebody I can have knowledge and not be able to convince anyone that what I know is true but it doesn't follow that, therefore, I don't have knowledge. So, on the one hand, we're talking about knowledge and just having and possessing knowledge. Now, the other hand, you're saying, but how can you demonstrate to the unbeliever? I'm saying, before I even talk to an unbeliever, I can have knowledge, even if I cannot articulate that.
2: Well, that's true. But, it, but if you're relating an unbeliever, you're engaging in defense of the faith, correct?
1: Yes, like but, but I wasn't. De-
2: attacking your position, you're responding to it, you're defending the faith. Is that right?
1: Yes, but I wasn't talking about that. I thought we we're just talking
2: about this this whole discussion about apologetic methodology i've been talking about apologetics this whole
1: time well i mean i have too, but I, I, i i'm assuming we're trying to get a foundation here um just knowledge in general so you would agree though that to have knowledge you don't have to be able to articulate it
2: i mean to have knowledge yes but then if you're saying that you can have knowledge i mean i'm sure you're not saying i can have knowledge but i don't have to demonstrate it in a debate i'm sure that's not your position
1: right um The way you stated it, uh, sure, I can have knowledge and I can refuse and just be stubborn and say, nope, I'm not going to give you any evidence. But it wouldn't take away the fact that I have knowledge.
2: I'm trying to find a way here because we're talking past each other. I'm trying to find I'm trying to find out where this where this this disagreement is lying here. Joe, how much more time do we have before the Q&A session?
0: Doesn't look like anybody's asking Q&A. So it looks like we get to have fun doing this for a little bit. We did schedule it. Yeah, we we have it from nine to nine twenty. I'll keep a lookout. Let me just ask this because yeah, I get a little bit lost in this as well. And other people know. why well, I've had discussions with them if they're ever listening to this. I get lost easy when it comes to these philosophical terms. We have particularists versus methodists. We then have uh, the uh, the starting points, my uh, you know of uh, of epistemology versus ontology, and here's what I'm hearing you say, Eric. And I just, I, I, I just, I, I cannot wrap my mind around this. So please just talk to me like, like from the office, talk to me like a fifth grader. And then if I don't get it, talk to me like I'm in kindergarten. Okay. So let's start with the fifth grade explanation. We believe you and I, we believe Genesis one, one is true. So we believe God created everything. So there is no, proposition there is no thing knowable without god making it known right so we do we both agree like that's a starting point like god created stuff then created us and now we know it because of god do we do we agree with that uh are, are you implying that if nothing existed we couldn't know about it because i mean i guess that would be evident. yeah i'm saying like if there was no god i would not exist and i wouldn't know nothing i mean you know and that's an impossibility of no god and nothing you know this uh, I don't, even, uh, I don't even think that's a possibility for there not to be a God. So let me just t- see what, what is that? Don't answer a question with a question. Just <laughs> answer this question with an answer. Here we go. And by the way, I get frustrated talking to all you philosopher guys. I'm a pastor. I have my master's in education, getting my doctorate in ministry from, you know, Trinity, and I've taken some time off. So just answer the simple question. Does God start? The entire process of knowledge, is he the beginning of everything possibly known in this universe? Yes or no, good sir.
1: Uh, and, and the only reason I ask, answer a question with a question is to make sure I agree with the question in the first place. Because, of course, I wouldn't want to, you know, if you uh, we, we all know the classic example. Uh, have you stopped beating your wife is a loaded question that in order to okay. answer you have to. So uh, is God the starting point of all knowledge?
0: Yes. Um, if- the prerequisite, that we could not know anything without God. Like you, you say, I start with I exist, but you couldn't start unless God existed, right? So we're reasoning in the sight of God. We're, the moment I come to know myself, God has already been here. The moment I have reason, it didn't come from anywhere. It didn't come from by itself. It has, like you said, the, the bang has a banger, right? And so every cause has a causer to an infinite regress to something that's uncaused, something that's ultimate right like our first principle our first truth isn't jesus the truth jesus's is logic isn't that where you start
1: um well uh, again if we're talking I, let, let me break yes it down or no you.
0: why can't i get a yes or no right here <laughs> just say yes i start here or i don't start here yeah just
1: it's, let him answer i want to hear what he says it's it's the way you're wording it basically uh okay you, um Do I need God to exist? Yes, of course. Do I need to believe that I need God to exist in order to exist? No. Do I start with God in order to have knowledge? Then we're talking about what I believe and why I believe it. Now, if we're talking about beliefs, then no, I don't need to believe in God in order to know I exist or in order to have knowledge. But if we're talking ontology, the reason for which something exists, then yes of course you you need god so you asked you know if i could explain it in a, in a fifth grade level so to speak if we me and you pick up a book we can both know things about the book we can know what's in the book the content we can know the color of the book the weight of the book but if i ask you why does this book exist who's the author even if you couldn't answer that question it would not follow that therefore you don't have knowledge of the book in other words you don't start with knowledge of the author in order to know that the book is blue, because that's a question of epistemology. However, if you said, but, but, but Eric, without the author, this book would not exist. Yes, that would be true. But now you're asking a different claim about why the book exists, as opposed to what do I know about the book? So in reference, in relation to existence, God and anything else, do I start with God Epistemically speaking, as a reason for which I have knowledge or believe something, meaning in order to believe that the number two is even, do I have to believe that God exists? No, just like I don't have to believe or know who the author is in order to know that the book is blue. But if you ask why anything exists and yes, then we're talking ontologically and we're talking about god so so that that's what I'm trying to differentiate here uh, if you're so that, that's why I'm trying to clarify the question, so yes. God is needed for anything at all to exist. But God, in the sense of talking about beliefs, is not needed to be believed in in order to know something.
0: Got it. I think you're saying yes, then. To, uh, to, to know something, I have to be a creation of God. Like, But to know the something, I don't have to admit that I'm a creation of God. Only a creation of God can know something, right?
1: Uh, sure, I, and it's just maybe, perhaps I'm just being picky here because it's just rewarding. Because to say I have in, uh, only creations of God can know anything, it almost would seem to imply that there are things that are not created by God, which I would reject. That that. Okay, notion.
0: so we agree. There's nothing outside. Okay, in Him and through Him are all things. By Him, He created everything. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. Right? Yes. Okay. So, but we don't have to admit that to know two plus two is four. That's what you're saying.
1: And we don't even have to know that. Correct. We don't even have to
0: know that. But the, okay, well, I'm gonna let Jason go go from here. But that's where I think I take Romans to say, and I was listening to, to, to to Bonson again, and it's like, but I really believe we have to know that even to do these other things. And I believe, I believe that on revelation, because I believe like the scripture Is true when it says we're knowing God, we're suppressing that, and that we couldn't reason without some starting point, because otherwise we'd be in some padded room in an infinite regress. Like, what even gives us the ability to have the faith to move past the infinite regress and have this discussion about a book you're talking about? You know, so I'm looking at a book and I go, okay, I don't have to know the author, but I can know the book. Well, what stops our brain from doing that? It's not it's not evolution. we don't believe that's just something that happened on the plains of Africa. We literally believe God put eternity in our hearts that we would be able to settle issues of uh, you know unknowable things or search them out because a God is our creator, God made things knowable, I can know this author, I can know this thing. Does, does that make sense like that's Bonson's argument to how we don't just keep asking the question why, 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 why and then just find ourselves. You know, looking in a mirror with a mirror, going ping, 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 and we just become insane. Like he literally believes the Imago day is that, and you could not do that without knowledge of God. That is knowledge of God.
1: Uh, well, I guess I would disagree there, and, and I think even you would disagree with Jason because Jason thinks you can't have knowledge apart from special revelation. Um, but what I'm saying is that uh, God created us in His image, which is to say that He created us with the capacities. To have knowledge so in order for so i mean we i can list a number of things that would be required in order to have knowledge one would have to be that you exist another would be that you'd have to have a mind another would be that you have to have the capacity for a higher rational thought for example a dog has a soul and i have a soul a dog has a mind and i have a mind however we differentiate in our capacities because a dog is not made in the image of god and that would the way we can flesh that out is by saying for example a dog can have thoughts and I can have thoughts, but I can have thoughts about my thoughts where a dog cannot think about his thinking. So, Okay, and
0: why today. do you have thoughts about your thoughts that don't lead to an infinite regress? Why, why do you have thoughts that can operate on assumptions, which we would call faith? Gordon Clark, uh, I was listening to this today, Gordon Clark believed, and, and just what Jason can correct me, that faith was... Uh, what was Gordon Clark's definition of faith, uh, Jason? Should have wrote this down.
2: Do you mean saving faith?
0: No, he talked about everybody having faith, that everyone operated in a principle of faith, and he called it something, uh, it was almost like a trust, like uh, because empiricism doesn't work, we all have to have faith and in an innate knowledge of God in, in and in a way to actually function, and he called this actually faith. I can go back and listen to the lecture. But let me pull out of this. Jason, why don't you take it from here? I don't want to get, get get into this too much. No one came to listen to me. They want to hear you guys talk. Put on the pirate's cap, Jason. Come on.
2: Well, um, I, should, I have my pirate's cap in my bedroom. Maybe I should put it on. Uh, be a bit of a walk, though. Um, so uh, first off, the position that you can't know anything apart from Scripture, that is not my position. That is not my position. I'll give my definition of knowledge. That, that's not my position. My My definition is, of knowledge is the is the possession of the truth i do believe that people can have knowledge but maybe they can't account for it so when i'm talking about scripture when i'm talking about knowledge uh like some people just can't show that they know something i'm talking about accounting for it um
1: i, I meant uh no i, I think what i had said is that and correct me if i'm wrong that you said that you cannot have knowledge apart from special revelation
2: well if i said that that was that was clumsily worded. Uh, so, uh, you know, maybe I said that earlier and I just, you know, sometimes when you do things off the cuff. You're not as precise with the, with the words as you'd like to be. I'm sure everybody's experienced that before. Um, but when I'm saying that you can't have knowledge apart from God, if I did say that, what I'm talking about is is accounting for that knowledge, not necessarily possessing it.
1: OK, yeah, then I guess we we, we could agree to an extent there. Sure. But then I guess we would both agree that apart from special revelation, we can have knowledge.
2: We can possess it, but you can't demonstrate your claims apart from special revelation, which I know you disagree with.
1: Right, right. But but, uh, you know, but the point of agreement would be that just the possession of knowledge can be had apart from special revelation.
2: And and you look at and you look at, you know, and I'll go to what's what uh, some of what Joe was talking about, about this, this innate knowledge of God. Uh, Gordon Clark had a view and and uh, And uh, Dr. Hoover asked this of Clark in a debate that he had about what was Adam's knowledge prior to Scripture? Well, Adam's knowledge was, according to Gordon Clark, his a priori equipment, which would be innate knowledge of God's laws, the laws of logic, uh, things that come with being made in God's image, and his other part of his knowledge was God's what God has said to him, according to Gordon Clark. Um, so, uh, Joe, to answer your question, um, and once you know about the innate knowledge, uh, Gordon Clark would call it uh, a priori equipment. Um, yeah, and
0: I found it here. He said that faith is a belief of propositions. That's what yeah. I was talking about. Yep. Go yes,
2: ahead. and then saving faith is assent to an understood proposition. That's his. That's yep. his definition of saving faith. Yeah. Um, so uh, when you he, when he's talking about trust and everything, uh, there's this view. There's a lot of these pastors have used uh, terminology like trust to describe faith, and and uh, Clark just just uh, he was so into prop, uh, propositional truth and everything, he just rejected that entirely. Um, but anyway, though, uh, I want to get, I want to get, uh, since we got my position clarified here, um, there's a problem here. See, Eric and I are kind of pat, uh, talking past each other, but that to be expected uh, because we kind of come with this at through different frameworks. Um, we keep going back and forth from epistemology and ontology. I've been, I've been arguing epistemologically this entire time. Uh, but Eric, you know, being a classicalist, and even Vantillians do this to some extent, is kind of going uh, trying to say in, in the metaphysical realm, saying things like, well, I have to exist in order to know things. Well, in order to make that claim, you have to know, first off, um, how you could, you know, you have to be able to show that that connection between existing and knowing that a proposition is true. Just because you exist does not necessarily mean that you can demonstrate that a proposition is, that you know that a proposition is true. Uh, and this is why I don't like metaphysics at all. I told you this over the phone, Jonah. And, and Eric, I think I told you this too when we kind of talked back and forth a bit in messaging. I reject the philosophical branch of metaphysics in its entirety. I just I think it does nothing but 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 uh obfuscates uh you know different dialogues like this, like it just causes confusion. I just don't like it. I'm a theistic idealist. Uh I, tr- I hold that truth is propositional. Um and that and uh that when you look at scripture, all of all the truth in scripture is propositional. And then if it's only you know, and I can demonstrate. That truth is that non tropical truth leads to contradiction. Um, so uh, we really need to get. So really, uh, the whole issue why Eric and I are talking past each other is because it, because our view of metaphysics just is different. I don't like, I don't like metaphysics at all, and I think Eric really likes it. So and I and I get the sum of Antiochus.
0: Yeah. So it seems like Eric where he kept saying this to me before, and I feel like I've studied a bit more now, and so I really want to get Eric to share here. It seems like, Eric, you keep making this differentiation, and you say like we're making some kind of an error when we do it. It's almost like the atheist who says we're shifting the burden of proof. I notice they like to say that a lot because they don't want to carry any burden of proof with unbelief. So it seems like we're saying we're starting with an axiom, And you're saying that I'm starting with an axiom is an unproven axiom that doesn't come from the Bible. Therefore, we can't be scripturalist. But what we're saying is the axiom is the word of God and his revelation, which is the whole point of the Bible. So there's no contradiction there. And what we're saying to you as the classical is, is what is your starting point? If it is your existence, fine, like Jason said, start there but you can't work anywhere from there. You've just gone literally not even a foot in your worldview and it's crushed again. So, I mean, like, how do you get anything off the ground? That's what we're asking you that. And you, and you keep, and I don't want to be sassy with you, but you keep saying, now I'm asking you an ontological question. I love what Jason's doing because he's kind of my backup here as well. I wish I would have had him before. he's saying, no, that's not an ontological question. It's still epistemological. We're saying we know because of an axiom. How do you know? That, what is your axiom? Please. Um, uh, yeah. um,
1: so, uh, and, and, and Jason did clarify a little bit for me um, in that, and which is what I was trying to get at, is that when you say I start with, that's why I ask, well, with respect to what? When you start with something, are you talking in general? I start with, because obviously in order to do anything, you have to exist. Um, because God could still exist and you couldn't exist. And, you know, so, so you have to first exist. Now, if, if we're talking epistemology, then I would still have to ask, um, what do you start with to know anything? Then I would say, well, it depends what you're asking. Um, in order to know about uh, – for example, to know that the number two is even, I don't start with the belief God exists because many people reject that number, the number two even exists, like Willow and Craig. Then you have someone like J.P. Moreland, who's my favorite apologist and philosopher uh, and theologian. He says that number, the number two does exist. So it doesn't really matter per se what you start with in that sense in order to have beliefs um so it, it, that, that it, it you can't just say you start with God in order to know anything at all epistemically speaking um i, I for example, babies have beliefs and knowledge um I, I couldn't give you an exact you know at at you know two months and three weeks or something, but you know my son i i, I certainly know and believe that he has beliefs
0: okay but, yeah i don't mean to cut you off because i've heard you say it's a bunch okay so you're okay. saying that and i want jason yeah g- 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 please let me just say this because i've heard him say this a bunch of times i get that uh i love you so much my brother but we're not saying that a baby can't know anything this is apologetics offer a defense of the faith we're saying you possess the knowledge because of god yes now demonstrate that it's knowledge demonstrate that what the baby has is knowledge and not uh, some illusion Go for it. Well, that's what I'm asking you, my brother. Stop yeah. the infinite regress. Give me the demonstration of knowledge, please.
1: Uh, well, I don't. I don't see how I'm getting to the infinite regress. My when I brought up infinite regress, I'm saying it's because if you keep asking, "How do you know?" it leads to an infinite regress. I'm not asking, "How do you know?" I start with, "What do you know?" Uh, there are different ways in which people know things. There is a, a simple scene, which means when my son sees me in front of him, he knows because of his sensory experiences, and they are they are properly basic beliefs because they're based in things that are self-evident so he knows these things because he has the faculty and capacity of sight to see and has a mind that god gave him to receive information so that a question i'm sorry
2: may i ask you a question sure mind. okay so you just said that he that he can know things to his senses what rule of inference allows you to infer a proposition from sight
1: what rule of inference uh well, I wouldn't –
2: yeah, I don't know. I
1: cannot think of any rule of
2: inference and logic that allows you to infer a proposition from a non-propositional source such as sensory data.
1: Well, I don't think all knowledge has to be propositional. I I can think without thinking in propositions. I don't have to think in sentences. In fact, my son does not even know English, so I don't – so he doesn't think in English or, in that sense, propositions. You don't have to think.
2: Even – even – I mean propositions can be – could be expressed in chinese or english but what i what i want to know is okay so you said that that there's they're, not all knowledge is propositional can you give me an example
1: yeah like like i said uh, in order so a proposition is expressed in a sentence correct or, or can be expressed in a sentence yes. i don't have to think in in a i don't have to think in sentences in order to think we do that every day um the god himself does not necessarily think in propositions because he has infinite knowledge of every single thing of all things and he that would lead to uh, – if, if everything had to be thought of in propositions, then God would have to think everything in terms of propositions. And since God knows everything all the way to eternity, then he would have to possess an actual infinite number of propositions. But we know that an actual infinite number of things cannot exist, so you don't have to think propositionally in order to think or have beliefs.
2: What makes you think that the number of propositions he would have to know is infinite? Are you talking because of, inter- because of eternality? Right. Yeah, I mean we're – His logic we're isn't really temporal. I mean he knows all things simultaneously.
1: R- right, and that, that's kind of my that, – that's my point is that if he knows everything all the way to eternity, which is potentially infinite, it has no end, then he would have to know an infinite number of propositions. But since an infinity cannot exist, then it would follow that, that either God is not omniscient, which neither one of us wants to say, or we would say that God does not have to think in propositional terms.
2: I think that's quite right, because God himself, you know, is is scribed in the Bible as an infinite, unchangeable being. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see a contradiction there. But let me, but I just I want to get to this because uh, it's a real because I think this is, this is a question when people approach things empirically. I've never heard one person that approaches an issue. Well, empirically ever. Well, be wait to, a minute. Two,
1: two things, two things. Uh, I, I, are you implying that an actual infinite can exist? And the other thing would be um, I'm not an empiricist. Give me give me one second. Hold on, Mark.
2: Well, I mean, you're arguing You are arguing all it. Right, all right, I'm to
0: have to be right back. I'm, I'm going to open the door.
2: Okay, that's fine. Sure.
0: While he does that, Jason, do you see where I'm kind of coming at as a simplistic person in philosophy, where I'm basically saying, hey, um, don't we start with God just in existing? And therefore, if I do exist, it's already dependent upon God. I'll let um, you
2: go there because I, I reject I mean the words like exist. I mean you know I don't like
0: that term. So what would you just dis- being? I have my being. I'm a I am a separate being than God, but I'm in God's, um, what I call I'm in God's energies. I actually take degree Greek orth- orthodox approach that there's God's essence and energy. I am a Christian idealist as well. Uh, do you set, do you make a differentiation between God's energy and God's essence?
2: No. I don't okay,
0: like so so we're in we're in God in some way, like the poet said and Paul quoted, right? Like it, on that.
2: And really, when you look in, if it, for instance, um, in Acts twenty eight, when you look at in Him we live and move and have our being, yeah, uh, that's that's describing a, that's a being amongst God. Uh, when you look at the Greek,
0: yeah, but I'm not God. Okay, so we're agreeing on that, so, not, so but I'm not a, God. God. So it what? Is- what it, so but how would you describe the separateness between me and God, yet we're unified? The Greeks said essence and energy. How do you describe the separateness?
2: Well, the Bible attributes the universe as God's creation. That's the distinction. You see, the universe is a product of God's thought. And we okay. are products of God. And, we, you know, and everything that happens here is a product of God's thought.
0: Yeah, God. so I, I'm God's creation. So you like the word I'm God's creation versus I exist.
2: Exactly, yes, because in an atheistic idealist, we don't look at things in terms of existence and, non, and, and other things you know like i said existence i mean you could follow that term exists that predicate after any subject yeah Uh, so it just becomes so it's just to me it's not very meaningful but um when it comes to theistic idealism you have god's mind and you have you you have god himself you have god's creation the creature creator distinction now um and that's really it's kind of you know it's uh I forgot where I was going with this. I lost my train of thought, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I was just trying to ask for a simplest thing, and you corrected me on exist. Let me go back to creation and maybe get some of the questions here because people have asked them uh, as we've been going on. Thank you guys for your patience and tuning into us. Okay, so just real quick. I'm saying I am God's creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't be a creation unless I have a creator, in the yes. beginning God, right? right? And so now I'm reasoning already in the sight of God. How is that even not understood by Eric? Why are we missing that with him? Because that—that to me is like, if that's not our axiom, that God revealed to us, He created us. Then what other thing could possibly give us solid footing? What—what possibly would be another axiom, right? I mean,
2: well, Eric just has a different way of thinking from us. That's what we have a different paradigm, and you know, and that's not. You know, and Eric is a very intelligent person. I, you know, he's asked a lot of very insightful questions up to this debate. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he's being a really good sport because the moderator has been participating in the debate a little bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's, been a very, he's been a very good sport, I think. Uh, you know, and yeah. I, you know, I do think, I do think the world of Eric. Just from a little bit, I've I've been able to interact with him. Yeah. Um, but you know, he just has a different approach than we do, and he, you know, he doesn't want to let go of the approach. We don't want to let go of our approach because we're all dogmatists here. Uh, He's automatically adhering to his approach. I mean, even whenever I I give, I ask these questions about inference and everything, you know, he's, I haven't heard a position, uh, a, you know, a, uh example of non-propositional knowledge yet, but I mean, but we just had different approaches, you know, and Eric's been studying this for a long time and and Sony's been invested in something, you know, and it's the same for us for so long. It's not going to let go of it so easily.
0: Yeah. Uh, And look, sorry, let me ask you this then real quick. So if, If what he is saying is true for, if it were true, how would, how could God have, where in scripture would we get the idea of what he is saying? Um, So if I asked him, I I would like to know, like, in scripture, where is the starting point? Do you think he would have a place in scripture that starts with a place other than God? I mean, that's, I'm I'm not getting that.
2: I think you should be asking him that question. I don't want to, you know, be the one to represent the position.
0: Yeah, here we got a question from Eli or Ellie, depends how you pronounce it, Ayala. He says, I'm interested to know whether one can build an adequate epistemology by starting with their own existence. It seems to me that the issue of epistemology and metaphysics are intricately, 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 oh my gosh, how do you pronounce that word? Intricately. Intricately. (laughs) Intricately. (laughs) <laughs> I do that sometimes. it's sometimes I can't get it intertwined and act within a feedback loop with one another can someone expand on this yes that's my question. He seems to want to go into this ontology, epistemology distinction. And by the way, I love my brother right here. He goes to my friend's church, so I'm really teasing him a lot. He, I've talked to him more on the phone than I have to you, by the way. So we, we have a good enough relationship. I know a sense of humor, so he, he knows I'm teasing him. But he keeps making this distinction between ontology and epistemology. Is, is there such a distinction, Jason?
2: Well, even, even propositions about ontology would have to be knowable. In order right. To demonstrate that that's true. Now, I don't think Eric agrees with that, and that's all right. I mean, we had different we had different paradigms. I think I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with with our discussion thus far. I think I've had a good chance to uh, show my my issues with that, and you know, he's had a good chance to respond. Um,
0: yeah. well, let me just say it one more time, like this, as we're waiting for him to come, guys. Thank you. We're going to try to be here till nine thirty. I don't know how much we'll go past that. I think you guys know how to get a hold of these guys as goodies. I got their information on the blog. If you're new to them, you can check them out on that blog. I posted up here. Okay. Ontology has to do with metaphysics and the nature of being epistemology has to do with how we know what we know. Correct.
2: I would say ontology has to do with the nature of God in his creation as a theistic idealist. Like I said, I don't, I don't view it as a subsect of metaphysics. I reject that branch altogether.
0: Yeah, but I'm saying for his point of view, he's trying to Actually, say. You want me to you, uh, explain that? Yeah, can you just say? Look, here's my thing. Can I do the Michael Scott office thing here? Dude, I need this as a fifth grader. I need this as a fifth grader, please. And if it doesn't work, Jason, put it in kindergarten language. Explain it to me like as if you were going to explain it to your wife unless your wife's a a brilliant philosopher, I know my wife just wonders what in the world I do in this back office with guys late at night. It's almost like I'm fulfilling a a fantasy of some kind of apologetical (laughs) dorm room discussions that I didn't get to live out in my college years. And I mean that in a holy way, by the way.
2: I I wasn't sure where that was going. No, I'm serious.
0: (laughs) No, but listen, in my dorm rooms. No, no, no. Everybody have a pure mind here. In my dorm rooms, uh, the dorms back in Bible college, I mean, we would debate till four in the morning, Mountain Dew, pass gas, and beat each other up, and then love each other again. And so I, my wife sometimes wonder, am I trying to live out these old college fantasies in that way, in a pure, holy way? But just tell me real quickly, brother, how is ontology ever different than epistemology if we have to be in the image of God to know anything? It's already built in to being, and God to know anything has to be all-knowing. So how does this ever separate? That's what I'm trying to get.
1: Uh,
0: well, here's an
1: example people who study apologetics would be familiar with. Um, anybody who's heard of Willem and Craig or uh, uh, things like that know about the moral argument for God's existence. So, when you, I, and perhaps even Jason, suppose, let's suppose we're, we're discussing the moral argument for God's existence, and an atheist says, I don't have to believe in God in order to be good, and I would say, yes, sure. However, uh, and then they'll even say, and and I don't need God to know what is right and wrong because of evolution or because I blah, 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 blah. And I would stop them and say, okay, sure, but I'm not talking about how we know what morality is. The moral argument is an ontological argument about why morality exists in the first place. So the the moral argument is that If God does not exist, then there is no morality. Because there is morality, it follows, therefore, that God exists. Now, if the atheist wants to say, ah, but I don't need to believe in God for morality, or I know morality without the Bible because of evolution, I would stop them and say, excuse me, Mr. Atheist, we're not talking about moral knowledge, that is to say moral epistemology. We're talking about moral ontology, which is why morality exists in the first place. So there's the distinction, I would say, clear as day there. One is a question of what do we know about something? And the other is a question of why this something exists in the first place. So I can have knowledge of something without even thinking or reflecting on where it comes from or why it exists in the first place.
0: Jason, do you agree with that? No. Okay. Will you please share with them why we don't agree with that?
2: Well, I mean, I think we, I think we have, Um, you know, he just has a different way of looking at it than we do. Um, But you really, when you talk about the nature of something, and I've said this before, and you talk about, for instance, why there's right and wrong. I don't typically frame any moral argument in that sense, because I want to get to the bottom of, if you're saying you can, if you're saying, if you're saying that you can be good without God, I want to know, number one, what's your definition of good? And number two, how do you get to that conclusion that you can be good without God? And, and I, I want to know how they're approaching morality. That's how, That's my approach. It's just completely different from Eric's. I mean,
1: well, so well no, I, I, I would agree with you there. I'm not saying you can be good without God. I'm saying you can know what good and evil is without believing in God. And sure, an atheist can make a sandwich for their son. They can help an old lady cross the street, which are good things, even though they don't believe in God. So you don't have to make a commitment to why something exists in order to believe in it or have knowledge about it. Um,
2: well, when I just, just to stop you there, when I said talking about being good without God, I was actually quoting an atheist hypothetically, not you. That changed. Uh, that okay, different there, just so you know. But um, I just okay. I had this funny picture. You said it's good to walk a lady across the street, and I thought, well, what if she's a suicide bomber about the blow up ability? <laughs> no, just
0: I just <laughs> want to ask you this, Eric. So when I learn things, aren't I already admitting? That I am in God's creation because I'm saying there's an I. Uh,
1: not directly, no. Uh, um, I don't know if you shared Jason sent something about metaphysics, but you know he was saying that he rejects metaphysics, which I would say is a metaphysical view about metaphysics, so it's self-defeating. And every every doctrine about God is metaphysics. So when we talk metaphysics, we're talking about properties. God has a property, the attribute of being all-loving. That's metaphysics. Uh, I have. The I have uh, conscious states and properties. That's metaphysics. So uh, metaphysics is is is. I mean that, that's it's a study of the ultimate reality and the nature of things. When we're talking about natures and things like that. That's metaphysics. Um, when you say your your question was about uh, what well, well, to to kind of turn the table. If if I asked you to define the number two, would you put God in the definition?
0: Ultimately, yes.
1: Okay. So how do you define the number two?
0: Okay, because I believe. Knowing to would not be at all possible unless I was in God's green earth made in his image. But that's not what I asked. Well, see, that's, see, I think this is where I need Jason's help to explain this. We're not saying I have to have every piece of knowledge in the Bible, we're just saying that revelation makes knowledge possible. It's the only thing that stops an infinite regress, unless I have the revelation of being a creation to the creator but, but made in his you, image. How will you, I ever know, like I was telling you before, the innate knowledge to even stop the infinite regress of questioning why, 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 you know, going that's on and my on. Position.
1: But I, I don't keep asking why. I, uh, Jason starts with the how do you know or why. I, I don't start with that. I, I, but I'm asking you yeah, to number two.
0: Okay, I know the number 2 is the number 2 because of God. No, There's I'm no other way define I define it.
1: No, define the number 2.
0: What is the definition of the number 2? The number whatever that proposition is, it is possible because of God. So just number no, that's 2. not what I'm asking. Or you're not asking me how I know a proposition is true.
1: No, I'm just asking you for a definition. If you had a math test and the only question on the math test was define the number 2,
0: how would you define
1: it? Or or d- define, or what is the
0: square root of sixteen? <laughs> I'm sorry, I need to stop. You're one of these guys. Brian's getting sassy with me. It, I, t- I I did not want to get into this, but Jason's being more gentlemanly to you than me, I guess. Because Jason, you need to answer these questions, man. Am I not giving you the chance? Because I, I I feel like I keep putting my mic on mute, and you're not. T- oh, what's going on?
2: Well, I how are speak, you
0: doing, sweetheart? I just
2: wait until I'm invited to speak, I mean, I don't I don't okay try to interrupt, you know.
0: Jason, you are invited to speak for the next half hour with Eric, okay? And it's good to see Eric's children here. God bless you guys. Um, Go ahead. A
2: couple of things I want to point out. Um, He said that my position on metaphysics was was self-contradictory. I emphatically disagree with that assertion. Um, Have you ever looked at what the word metaphysics means, Eric? Yeah. Okay, what does it mean?
1: Uh, well, I would I would define it, especially off the cuff, uh, in an ostensive way, which is to say that we point to instances of something. Um, some things are defined ostensibly. For example, if you asked me to define the color purple, I couldn't give you a propositional definition because these are things that we define in an ostensive way, and that means that we point to instances or examples of the color purple. So I would. I'm define talking it. more
2: about the ethnology of it, the the me the what the what the word.
1: Oh. Means. Right etymology it would be uh beyond physics or beyond the physical
2: yes that's exactly why I don't like
1: it you don't think there are things beyond the physical
2: well i reject I reject that distinction entirely um, I, re- I reject the distinction of immaterial and material I mean I don't know yeah you know, this goes this is another reason why I don't like the word exist so I mean I just that distinction i don't I don't accept it
1: and I'm sure you, you're 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 aware that it's a very uh, Odd, unorthodox view that not so many people hold, which doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just, I, I, I mean, it's, it's to me personally, and I'm, I, I'm don't want to be disrespectful. It's pretty bizarre to reject metaphysics and to reject. The, I mean, what? How do you? I, I don't know how. What are the words to use? I mean, instead of saying you exist, what you would say? I think earlier you said you're creation of God. Yes. Okay. Uh, and uh, but. Do not creations of God exist?
2: Well, I don't, like the, I don't like the term exist, and I don't think I've really gotten – I've asked you for a definition, but it wasn't. I didn't find it satisfactory um, okay. when you had given it. earlier, Could you define exist one more time, please?
1: Uh, it's it's uh, the possession of properties, the possession of at least one property is how you would define existence. Existing is the belonging of properties.
2: And what kind of properties are we talking about? Any kind at all. Okay, but I mean, what specific property denotes existence? I mean, is there, or you're saying there's multiple properties that can denote it?
1: Yeah, I mean, any, I mean, name any property. If something possesses a property, then it exists. Like goodness. Sure. Yeah.
2: Okay, but that seems to be question begging to I me. Mean. Okay. Because you're saying vast goodness, you're already assuming it's existing in the first place. It's kind of. Well, but, a- but
1: a- that's, that's what I'm saying. It, it, it's the belonging of property. So if if if. Uh. Something, for example, uh, Sherlock Holmes does not possess any properties. There is no instance of him possessing properties. That's why, and that's how we know he doesn't exist. If something possesses at least one property, then it, it, it exists.
2: Why is being the product of fiction not a property, as opposed to what you would call a real property? Because there is
1: nothing that possesses it.
2: But there's a character, Sherlock Holmes, that we all, I mean, this is the object we're talking about, correct?
1: Well, it's it's a concept that we're talking about that which exists in our minds, but the actual instantiation, exemplification of a person whose name is Sherlock Holmes and and all the other characteristics that we find in the book, there is no such thing. There, there is. Would, there is,
2: would being a concept not be a property for Sherlock Holmes? You see, because by that definition, it seemed that Sherlock Holmes would exist.
1: But Sherlock Holmes, the concept of Sherlock Holmes does not possess the concept of Sherlock Holmes. We possess the concept of Sherlock Holmes.
2: I'm not, I'm just not, I'm sorry. I, like I said, we have a different approach to this. I'm just not quite following that. Okay. I don't want you to, I don't want you to keep repeating yourself over and over again. I mean, we've both been repeating things since this has started <laughs> to each other. Um, but that's, that's where I'm getting at. Whenever I say that, I don't like that, that term exists. I It's just, there's a lot of things that just, just um, it seems to be, you know, it just seems to me that exists as a property that can follow any, pred- any subject and Sherlock Holmes is another example of that.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I don't want to turn the discussion into this, but maybe off air is something we can talk about. I mean, if because we're talking about properties, and I assume you believe that things like goodness exist, and that's a property. That's metaphysics. I don't like then, it. I don't like that term. I'm sorry. Oh, you know, I mean, that's okay. Because we know of goodness that is out there. Goodness is a property is, of God. Okay, right. But that's metaphysics. We're talking about properties. I don't okay.
2: agree. Okay. I wouldn't put it in that category. That's, that's, that's an Aristotelian category. I, I, um, when you look at the the, the meaning of metaphysics or, or the, um, the origin of the word in Latin, um, you know, meta can mean after or beyond. And then physics is, is basically, uh, you know, uh, reality. And it just, seems like you say reality, which I don't even like that term either, but we'll just say it for fun. Um, and uh, Joe, Joe's probably smirking in his head because he's heard this before. Uh, but, you know, what does it mean to be beyond reality? I'm sorry? What does it mean to be beyond reality? Is there, a, do you think that's a, that's a meaning, there's, that's, a, that's something that's meaningful or not?
1: Uh, I guess not. I mean, I, I didn't use it. I don't know if you're accusing me of using No, yeah, well, I'm just talking about
2: historically, just, just like the Latin, the Latin, what it means in Latin metaphysics. That's where I'm going to. That's another reason why I don't like that branch of philosophy.
1: Well, I mean, physics is is not all of reality. Uh, I, I'm not even sure what your position on what something physical is, because you say you don't like the distinction of physical. I, I, and I, if you non- ask
2: me, if you ask me what physical, what a physical is, I wouldn't be able to tell you. Okay. I look at, the, I look at things in, is, as true or false. That's the way I look at things in, in my philosophical system. Is I look at true propositions or false ones. I don't look at things in terms of what exists and what doesn't exist. Like like a lot of like a lot of other people, do that that are really involved in metaphysics.
1: But, I mean, surely something exists or it doesn't, and that's true or, that's a proposition that's true or false.
2: Yeah, but then in order for it to be true or false, that, that word has to have some sort of meaning to it, and I just don't see
1: – Well, whatever
2: meaning you like. It, it, just seems to, it just seems to reduce itself to, to a meaningless term.
1: Like some – okay, you say you don't like the word term existence, but you like – you say you're a creation of God. So something is either a creation of God or it's not, and that's true or false.
2: Yeah, well, I'm a creation of God. I can't be both a creation of God and not at the same time, but being a creation of God, that's, that's a that's a group of terms that carries meaning. Okay.
1: Um,
0: I don't know. <laughs> okay, I'm trying to moderate, but then they got mad at me for sticking my nose in here too much. Eric
2: is a good He has not complained one time.
0: I know. I love Eric, man. Eric's having fun. But uh, they said I wasn't letting Jason talk enough. So, Jason, can you uh, – I'm going to close this down at 10. I I'm think Eli f- asked
1: something. It looked like he stated something.
0: Yeah, I, I asked his question, but are you talking – can you just read it out, Eric, if you see another one? Because I thought I had <laughs> he it. Says, but, uh, uh,
1: Eli, Yala, which I've become friends with. Hey, doing, Eli. He says, perhaps both Jason and Eric can just state their biblical foundation in regards to their starting point. Have Jason demonstrate that God is our starting point and Eric demonstrate whatever his starting point is, which seems to be his own self existence. I may be wrong, but it would be good for him to clarify. Um, you, want me to, you want me to take a swing at that
0: first? Or? Yeah, I think that's awesome, bro. Thank you. Okay.
1: Um, so, my starting point, again, I'd say in regards to what? I mean, before you can do anything, you have to exist, obviously. Now, my starting point in regards to what am I asking about? Um, for example, uh, I mean, if you're asking about mathematics, then my starting point is not God or the Bible. Um, I don't see how you can get calculus from the book of Leviticus or Nahum or anything like that. Um, I don't know of anyone uh, that starts with the Bible for everything. I, I don't even think that's possible. And I already argued that prior to the Bible's existence, people still had knowledge. I know Jason earlier said that, well, we had prophets. Well, then apparently it doesn't follow that you need the Bible as a starting point if at one point, People did not use the Bible as a starting point because there was no Bible, which means that that would only be true now but not then. So this conversation being had prior to the Bible, aside from the obvious technology, uh, it wouldn't be true um, versus my position would be true whether it's today, yesterday, tomorrow, in 100 years, 1,000 years, or you know, thousands of years ago. Um, my starting point with uh, – in regards to – again, to what? I mean, yes, God is the beginning of all things. But if I am trying to learn how to cook eggs or to make a gingerbread house, I don't start with the Bible or God. That's not my starting point. I don't see why that would be my starting point if I'm trying to learn how to cook or bake or sew. Uh, I, I, so starting point in regards to what? I mean, that, that would just be the, the way I would answer that off the top.
0: that. that, that Okay, and do, and do you feel like Jason? He's answered that well. Probably not.
2: I disagree, but that's okay.
0: Okay, so do you now want to take on the uh, the task and give us your starting point and show from Scripture that that's why we should do apologetics that way? Are
2: you talking to me or Eric?
0: Uh, you, Jason, because Eric just went.
2: No, well first off, um it's true in the old testament that that um that that they that the Jews had the prophets, but the prophets were giving out the word of God, just like the Bible now is the word of God. The Bible wasn't there then. But just because the Bible wasn't there then, the proposition content is still the same. It's just a different we're just calling it something different. Uh so I reject, you know, his his um, his uh objection about the Bible, you know, about it well the Bible wasn't true back when the Jews were there, therefore this isn't a good, a biblical starting point. I, I disagree. Um, you look at, for instance, when Jesus argued with Satan, uh, what, you know, the tempter, um, what did Jesus do? He filled the scripture, right? What does Paul do? He fills the scripture in his arguments. You know, even in Acts 17, I heard him say in, uh, in his debate with uh, Sides and Birkenkate, going to Acts 17 as an example about, of, um, of uh, him not using the scripture, well, technically, since, since 2 Timothy 3:16 says that, that the, the word is God read, since these words were recorded in Scripture, these words that Paul spoke was read from God. Um, so that that too is special revelation. But really, I mean, when you look through the Bible, you know, and I gave an example in Acts 17 of of uh, my apologetic methodology being, you know, um, showing that that uh, if you grant what what the other person believes, it leads to self contradiction, and then presenting Christianity afterwards. He did that in Acts 7 whenever he talked about the, um, about what the Greek poets said and saying, well, our God actually fits that category and your gods don't. Uh, so as far as like starting with the Bible, you know, show, demonstrating that I have to start with scripture, an axiom, if I could demonstrate that to start with the axiom, uh, the Bible alone is the word of God. It seems to me that that would not be my axiom. I'd be starting somewhere else. How would I demonstrate that? I mean, how do I demonstrate something that's not demonstrable? The act, all actions, all axioms are chosen, and what we do is we take these axioms and the theorems that they produce, and we and we can we compare them, you know, to how different worldviews, about how well they answer philosophical questions. I would submit that anyone who doesn't start with the propositional revelation of scripture, or any propositional revelation for God, for that matter, you know, in the Old Testament, would have problems. Their world their worldviews around the problems they would reduce to skepticism, because they can't they're not going to be able to account for the gains without the give for their claims without the giver of knowledge. Um so I mean when you try and say we'll demonstrate that you have to start with the axiom, the Bible is the word of God. I mean I, there's no have to about it. That's just where I start because in a philosophical conversation I'm able to defend that position. I'm not saying that people have to do it the same way that I do it. That's not I would never argue that. Uh, you know, maybe someone could start with it, you know, for instance, you know, the Jews of the Old Testament, they had the prophets that told them about the coming the Messiah, and they could show some things to be true because the words were from God and God can't lie. They all knew that. Um, so, I mean, you could even you could even call it something out in the Bible, and it was, and potentially maybe construct a, um, a uh, multitude of propositions that allow you to escape skepticism if you were to define your terms well. Now, I haven't seen it done, but maybe it's possible.
0: How would you escape skepticism, Eric? Uh,
1: I, I wouldn't be there in the first place. <laughs> I wouldn't have to escape it. Uh, I wouldn't be in the maze of skepticism, so I'm going to have to escape it. Um, I, I guess you'd have to give me a specific instance of skepticism, but, I mean, if, if, I, if I can respond to a few things that Jason was saying. He said when Satan tempted Jesus, and we know that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, God incarnate, he used scripture. But let's look at the first time that they had a, uh altercation, if you will, a little, uh, well, you know, a, a fight, disagreement, if you will, in heaven. Uh, I don't think God quoted scripture uh when Satan rebelled in heaven. Um, well, well, God said is true already. Right, but but the, right and that's that's kind of my point is that there God wasn't, wasn't a, a God was not
2: acting as a servant in that capacity at that
1: okay, time. Okay. Right, so well I I I don't think that's necessarily relevant, but what I'm saying well, is it's is relevant.
2: I mean, you you look at you look at, you know, Philippians 2. What was Jesus at that point? He came he came came in the form of a man as a servant. Jesus, when he was in the garden, was in the flesh. He was acting in a servant capacity.
1: Okay. Uh, agree or disagree for the sake of time. Um, in Acts 17, when Paul quotes their philosophers and poets, uh, he is not appealing to Scripture. And if you're saying that everything in Scripture is God-breathed, then things that are in Scripture are from other poets. So you would have to also imply that those poets, what they, the secular poets that wrote what they wrote, was God-breathed since it is in Scripture. And I, I, don't, I don't think you would go there. I mean, but that actually
2: of- confused you there. Um, that was, that was a, just showing the methodology, not necessarily the axiom itself. I was, I was showing that he was showing that given their position, it, their own position leads to self-contradiction, and then he presented Christianity right. afterwards.
1: Okay, which is a classical approach of apologetics, not presupposition. Well, I mean, uh-
2: that approach is not exclusive to classicalists or, or Clarkians. That's not well, – I mean, there's some overlap in our methodologies. I mean, it doesn't have to be one or the
1: other. Well, well, then, then it wouldn't be presuppositional, which of well, course, I mean, I, it, how you
2: define presuppositional. I don't know how you're defining it.
1: Well, as you've defined it so far, was everything based on special revelation? I haven't given and, a
2: definition for presuppositional apologetics in this well, entire discussion.
1: Well, in this one perhaps not, but you've given criteria for it, and I've heard you in other discussions talk about uh, uh, how knowledge is gained. Uh, when we look in in the book in Kings with the prophets of Baal and Elijah, he mm-hmm. also used. He did not quote scripture. He used the classical approach of providing evidence. Um, when Paul talked about the resurrection, he, again, did not use scripture. He said, if there is no resurrection, then Christianity is false. That's, you uh, he, he can be put in a syllogistic format, and that's a classical approach to apologetics. Um, um, uh, you you talked about things not, if you can't demonstrate something. There are things you can't demonstrate that are true and that we have knowledge of. I can't demonstrate my mental states to you, because those are what's called first-person private access. You cannot see my mental states, nor can I demonstrate my mental states to you. Um, you talked about uh, when you engage with unbelievers, your one of your goals is to simply show that their worldview can't answer certain problems. Well, that's not even, I would say that's more of a pragmatic approach to truth and reality, not yeah. necessarily saying that it's necessarily true. You're just saying, well, mine does better. But I mean, I, I could answer, I could say that my phone I can say that a, le- a leprechaun's in my phone. That's why it works. It answers problems, but it doesn't mean it's true. Um, the, uh, as a, a saying, you start with scripture. I mean, there are other people who claim to be Christians, such uh, um, and, uh, and I don't want to mention any particular, but let's just say, for example, um, well, let's say someone who's a Unitarian who does not believe in the Trinity, they'll say that they start with scripture and they'll use scripture. So to simply say we start with scripture and we derive and we can know infallibly truth because of scripture i could agree with that but then i would also have to ask yes well but by scripture may be infallible one's interpretation of scripture is certainly not infallible because even
2: okay, hold on a second this is like rapid fire objections here am i going to get a chance to respond to all these
1: yeah i just wanted to throw those out there now was... yes
2: absolutely because <laughs> we're supposed to end at 10 here and now we got 12 minutes and this i mean this is a lot to unpack
1: well, I just figured if I throw a lot out, you couldn't answer them, and I just – you know, That's a good plan. That's
2: a great – that's a great – I mean, hey, that, for debate tactic, that works.
1: <laughs> no, go, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I just wanted to just throw out just some of the things you were saying in response to them, but yeah, go for it.
2: In the instance of Baal and all these other instances you gave, I mean these are either prophets or apostles that were speaking, and since it's recorded in the Bible, that's special revelation. Um, the but whole, the
1: instance itself was not special revelation.
2: Well, I mean, and, this, and I never said, for instance, you couldn't give evidence uh, for something. I never said that. Okay. Um, fair enough. If something that's evidential all right okay. uh, how do we know let's let's do it this way let me let me ask you this question I may not be able to get to everything but we'll just go through it as we have time um you're you're a let's say that you're you're a prophet of Baal. okay let's put yourself put yourself in this scenario all right paul says uh this is this we're what we're going i mean not paul but i just said man uh it's too late. Uh, Elijah says, well, you put your, you make, you you put your sacrifice up, I'll put mine, and whichever God sends down fire to burn the offering is the true God. All right, so you're a prophet of Baal. Now, you, so you do that contest, everybody's dancing around, you know, trying to get Baal to send fire down, and then, lo and behold, Yahweh sends down the fire and burns the offering. Apart from, apart from Elijah telling you who was that did that, how would you know that it was, it was a Christian God that sent down that fire?
1: Um I, I, I guess it, to grant what you're saying now, I I couldn't deductively infer necessarily that it was a god of the Bible, but given the context, that was the two at play. I mean that, that that's how they settled things back then. Even in the book of Genesis, they uh the book of Genesis everything produces after its kind, which, which is a whole another issue, but it was basically a an objection given against the pagan religions who said that the reason we have crops is because we do these uh, fertility dances and orgies uh, and the Christians or the, the, the believers of children of God said no it's because God created things with natures and essence which is metaphysics and to produce things after their kind so things produce naturally after their kind so it, it, was like, it was like an indirect attack against their position so um, these are the contexts that were at play here but back to my point was that he was not using presuppositional apologetics to prove his point
2: Well, I said at the very beginning, we have a a myriad of options Mm -hmm. in the way we do our apologetic method. Um, You know, I'm just, I just like mine the best and you like her. Okay. So, I mean, you know, and I think we both agree there, but um, here's a, here's a problem that you're having whenever you're using this example and you, and you kind of, you kind of admitted to it, I guess, but apart from Elijah telling you who it was that sent on that fire, there's no way that you could have possibly demonstrated that that fire was actually from God.
1: I mean, sure, but you could say that about the Bible. You could say that we don't, we can't possibly demonstrate just like that that the Bible was given by God Himself.
2: Now, I mean, so let me ask you this then: since we're talking about demonstrating the Bible's word of God, how would you demonstrate that claim?
1: Um, Well, uh, just uh, the veridity of it, uh, the examples of things like fulfilled prophecy and. Uh, the way we know that we have the basically that what it says has been recorded by scribes and whatnot, and just, just the showing the historical verity of it and uh, that See, you
2: give evidence that the Bible is true and, and say, because of this, I infer that the Bible is the Word of God, or well, that's divinely inspired, however else, however you put it.
1: Well, you know, I would even appeal to what Craig would say about um, uh, inner witness of the Holy Spirit there, but that's where I'd also differentiate between knowing. It to be true and showing it to be true.
2: So whenever you look at the Bible and then you compare it to myths in history, historic uh, exploring history involves induction. The you know and the historical methods induct. If you agree with that, correct? Sure. What's your solution to the problem of induction then? the The notion that uh, the premises could be could be true, but the conclusion isn't necessarily true. I mean, that wouldn't be if you argue that way. You cannot demonstrate given the problem of induction, that the Bible is true through induction. You'd have to actually, you'd have to to, uh, approach it deductively to be able to definitively demonstrate that the Bible is the word of God. You can't do that with the method you're giving.
1: Uh, Yeah, well, first I said, excuse the background noise. Uh, But yeah, well, I reject that that in order to know something, it has to be necessarily uh, deductively um, derived. uh, Because if you're going to claim that we can only know things that are Necessarily true or necessarily deduced, then there's a lot of things you can't know because the very claim that we that we can only know things that are necessarily deduced is itself not something that's necessarily deduced.
2: So okay, we'll let me ask you this: fears. What's your definition of logic? Let's make sure we're talking about the same things
1: as we're talking about logic. I would define it by the three rules of logic.
2: Okay, so that well, that be examples, not a definition.
1: Well, right. Remember earlier I said that some things are defined ostensibly. Yeah,
2: I, dedu- I can define it and tell me if you if you agree with this definition or not. I define logic as a science of necessary inference.
1: Uh, no, because you could give examples of things that are necessarily inferred but are not the rules of logic. Like? Um, things like 2 plus 2 plus 4 is not a rule of logic. It's using logic, but it's not a rule of logic, and that's something that's necessarily… Uh, well, it'd be
2: necessarily forgiven the rules of logic. It doesn't have to be a rule of logic.
1: But, that, but that's my point. Uh, so if you're going to use that definition, then I can sh- – all I have to do to re- rebut it or refute it is to show instances in which it meets your criteria and definition and yet is not logic itself. It's well, using logic. Have,
2: how would you demonstrate that two plus two equals four?
1: I don't think you have to. I think it's self-evidently true, just like uh, um, I don't demonstrate to myself that I exist because in order to even demonstrate that I exist, I don't have to first exist. So these are things that are properly basic beliefs uh, that, are, that are grounded um, that, are, that don't need to be demonstrated. Um, I don't –
2: the, the self saying every time I hear someone try to explain that, it sounds like begging the question. How do you escape that accusation if you say self-evidently true?
1: Meaning that it presents itself to you and that it's, it's a properly basic belief. For example, uh, my mental states are, are self-evident. Um, the fact that I exist is self-evident. Um, one way you could put it, and I'm sure you would agree, is that because the uh, contrary is logically impossible. Or to argue against it would be self-defeating. You know, for example, I don't demonstrate truth exists because if you claim that there is no truth then it's self-defeating. So it's self-evidently true that truth exists. Then are you not inferring things like T
2: plus T equals four is um, from, you know, like from a from logic? I mean, you're saying that T plus T equals four and you don't, and you don't need to and you don't need a rule of logic to uh, i guess to say that but you're saying that now you can show it self evident because it's not logically possible to be otherwise so that's kind of inferring from logic
1: well, well when i when something's self evident i don't show it necessarily to be self evident something is self evident to me the self
2: but in your argument when i question your your terminology there you appeal to logic and i mean and and so you appeal to something supposedly outside of what you were saying was self evident
1: uh, I'm, I don't think I followed followed the objection.
2: Okay, so I ask you. Okay, you said two plus two equals four, is self evidently true. Um, you know, and I thought it was a theorem from you know an act, the axiom of addition. That's the way I look at it. Um, but uh, but you're you're presenting this in a different light. I just never heard the I just never heard that the proposition two plus two equals four is self evidently true and you know, and just as a side, uh, there's there's mathematicians that would that would disagree that two plus two always equals four. Um,
1: well, they would be wrong. <laughs>
2: well, I mean, yeah, given your given the way you're looking at math, I guess they would be. But I mean, you know, and I don't necessarily agree with them. I'm just giving an example. But okay. the uh, but whenever you're saying self, when you, when people always say, you know, and people do this with actions too. They say actions have to be self-evident. You know, and just to say that something that, that it justifies itself. Is begging the question. I don't see the difference. That when you deal with something like logic, like saying, "Well, it's a contradiction," not to say, "Well, now you're doing it on the you're trying to demonstrate on the basis of the logic, not the proposition that you're saying is self evident."
1: Well, okay. So here, here, let me clarify this way: Mm -hmm. something that is a properly basic belief is a belief that is not based on prior beliefs, nor is it based on some kind of argument. But that is not to say that I cannot present or give arguments for that. So. Um the fact that I exist is self evident to me it's 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 uh it's not something I came to on the basis of another belief, but it doesn't mean that just because something is properly basic that I cannot give evidence or reasons or arguments for why I believe it's true so again, that would be the distinction of knowing something to be true to be true versus showing something to be true well, and
2: i mean showing never shows that a proposition is true I would argue opposite uh, say that again. I said, I would, I, I don't agree that evidence dem, uh, shows that something is true because it's inductive. Okay. So you got to have a solution to problem induction. If you're going to say evidence demonstrates a claim to be true.
1: No, because in that, that's skepticism. Uh, uh, then, then you're not escaping skepticism. You're diving right into it. Um, well, I'm,
2: if, just, I'm just being a contrarian here. I mean, I can, I don't need <coughs> in order for me to have knowledge. Say that again. I don't need induction in order for me to have knowledge. My, my philosophical system as a sense is starts with an axiom and just like logic and mathematics has theorems that come from that Uh,
1: but but i mean like for example when you you look at a tree outside and you look at grass it's green uh, i couldn't tell you what grass is i couldn't tell you what a tree is either no one can you really yeah okay what is a
2: tree Can you i mean can you tell me i mean they all look different (laughs) so
1: Uh, yeah because because of things have natures we, we can look at a thing's nature and because, in the, of course, this is in metaphysics, and, uh, if something meets the requirement of certain natures and has the qualifications of a thing's nature, then it qualifies as that thing. So um, that's how we, we're, even in science, able to differentiate between species uh, um, and things like that. And this this would go into a much deeper topic about the soul and whatnot. But basically, um, if I look at my body uh, in a, a posteriori sense, I can learn from that things that are inherent to my nature as a human being. Um, And we can, we can deduce things that are true from that, or you can even say inductively, but uh, I mean, use whichever one you want, but a thing's nature is what drives its law-like formation. It gives limits to what, what the substance of the things nature can do. So I have certain essential properties that make me human that I cannot lose these properties and remain human. And knowing this and, and studying the thing's nature, we learn about the things that exist, ultimate reality, and we're able to look at something else and see that this has these qualifications of a human nature, and we say, ah, therefore, that, that is human.
2: So you keep saying you're looking at something, but I don't, I don't know. What, inference, what role of inference allows you to draw a proposition from sensory data? That's, that's non-propositional. Okay,
1: so when I say look, I don't necessarily mean visually. I'm, I'm using well, it in a more Well, here's general... what
2: I'm asking, because you're saying that classical apologetics is logically consistent, but I'm hearing a lot of inferences that are not, predica- that are not in any rule of logic that I've ever heard of.
1: So when I say logically consistent, I mean that there's no contradiction. So I don't think I've I presented a contradiction. But if, you,
2: now, but if you have a solution to problem induction and then you're using induction to get to deductive premises, then there's a problem there, right?
1: No, no, not necessarily. Uh, uh, so, when, so again, we're going back to the, the issue of skepticism, which, again, I say you're not trying to escape. You're diving into. So if a skeptic were to ask me these questions, just because you're basically going to be presenting hypotheticals, but hypotheticals are a dime a dozen. I mean we can present hypotheticals all day. It doesn't get anywhere. So – and. Uh, I, I would treat a belief as innocent until proven guilty. So unless I'm given a reason to doubt what I believe, then I have no reason to doubt it, or or to to claim any of these hypotheticals are defeaters to my belief. So I don't have but a problem. You're ending of, up
2: with a disjointed system, you're not really able to seamlessly move from one proposition to another. I mean, um, I mean, do, do you and I not both accept the rules of inference of logic, and that if a conclusion doesn't necessarily follow, that it's not a valid inference?
1: No, see, I reject that. Just because something doesn't necessarily follow, doesn't mean it's not a valid inference. Because again,
2: there are the a lot of things. Logic, again, you said the laws of logic. I mean, that's an example of three laws. I mean, what about modus ponens and modus tollens? I mean, how right. are you defining logic here?
1: Okay, so so going back to what I said, it's ostensibly defined. Just like you would, do, how would you define the color purple? You the, couldn't let's do other this than way, ostensibly, I've heard that used different
2: ways. Just kind of use a different term there, so I can understand exactly what you're saying. <clears throat>
1: Say that again.
2: I said you're using the word ostensibly. I'm, I, I've i heard that word used in different ways. What do you exactly mean when you say that?
1: Something that is defined ostensibly is defined by giving instances, examples, or pointing to it. So you not define the color purple in a propositional way. You would have to point to an instance or example of the color purple. So some things are defined ostensibly. Things that are basic and primitive uh, are, are defined in that way. Um, so... When, when we're talking about uh, uh, you're saying that if it's not necessarily entailed, then it's not valid. No, because that would limit knowledge to so such a small, small scale of things we can know. For example, w- would you say that you know that you're talking to me right now? We've never met in person. We've This is the first time I think we've talked even over online. But would you say that you know I exist and would you say that you know you're talking to me?
2: Well, I, I reject the term. It just, again. Um, okay, well,
1: regardless, you, you know what I mean. That
2: I, that I, so um,
1: so would, you know, would you know that I'm here and that you're talking to me?
2: Well, I would believe it, but I mean, what if someone was superimposing an image and that, it was actually else talking to me? I mean, I can't demonstrate that I'm talking to you.
1: Right. So then you would essentially have to bite the bullet, which is my point.
2: That doesn't mean I can't know anything else like from Scripture, though.
1: But uh, No, but I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm the, saying… The
2: scope – well, hold on a second. A scope of a philosophical system and what it covers has no bearing on whether or not that it's a, that it's a uh, system that can escape skepticism. The broadness or the narrowness of it, that's not relevant to, to whether or not it can escape
1: skepticism. Uh, okay, but, but that's, that's my point is I don't know why you're using – you have to escape ses- skepticism as a criteria for knowledge. But going well, back to that I, thing before because
2: that, because the things that are not knowledge are classified as things like I have beliefs that are opinions, you know, like, for instance, um, you know, let's say I'm driving, right? I'm driving down a street and I have cars and you got to react to different cars, right? So you look at someone and it looks like they are about to pull up and you say, I think that person's about to pull up in front of me. Well, I don't I can't demonstrate they're about to do that. But let's say they do pull up from me and I hit the brakes. Now, I, there's no way empirically I could demonstrate because empirically you can't demonstrate anything at all that they pulled out in front of me, but I stopped anyway. I'm just, I'm just functioning.
1: Uh, okay. I, I just want to get back to what I was saying earlier though. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have to bite the bullet based on your view of knowledge and say, you don't know that you're talking to me or even Joe right now. You don't know. That there's the problem a with that?
2: I mean, can you demonstrate that you're talking
1: to me? That That's the thing. What you're asking me to demonstrate. I mean, again, for me, it's self-evident, but, but you realize that on your view of epistemology, you can't not know these things. And I, and I, I find it, can't either
2: in your epistemology. I think. Well,
1: I, sure, sure. I can. I have, I have a, a belief, and I have good reasons to believe it. I have justification. I'm warranted by these beliefs. Now well, I would say I have knowledge. I mean, come on. Let's
2: de- demonstrate to me specifically. <clears throat> you're talking to me right
1: now. I mean, demonstrate that I have to demonstrate it. You're going back to the Methodist approach, which I reject. So you can't ask well,
2: me to answer a question. demonstrate it, I don't think you're being logically consistent.
1: Demonstrate why. I mean, but that's that's the thing that leads to an infinite regress. I am rejecting your foundation of epistemology, but you keep going back to your epistemology and forcing me to answer well, that. Gonna, it's I like mean, if
2: you're going to reject my foundation, I'll just reject yours. I mean, why not? Why can't yeah. I do the same?
1: I, mean, I I guess you could, but that wouldn't get us anywhere. But that's okay. Well, so I mean, if,
2: if you don't want to engage my position, and you no. know you're, you're wanting me to grant your position, but you're not granting mine, that's not a discussion. That's a monologue.
1: No, 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 no. that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying is that you're asking me to accept your position or accept nothing else. So you're actually – so what you're accusing me of doing, you're actually doing. It would be like an atheist saying – I'm willing
2: to your position. You just have to be able to articulate what it is. And, I mean, if I find a problem, I want to show it to you, just like if you, you, know, if you find right. a problem in my yeah. system. you give giving arguments against my system too. We've both been given arguments against it. We're,
1: right, we're just, but going back to what I was saying, so let, let's pretend an atheist came on right now and said, uh, Eric and Jason, where did God come from? And we say, well, no, that's not our position. We don't believe God came from. No, where did God? Who created God? Well, God's not created. He's necessary. No, where did God? If they keep asking the question, and you've already explained to them that you reject that very question because you don't agree with its, forgive me for using the word, their presuppositions, then you don't have to answer that question if you don't agree with the very assumption of the question. know so something.
2: My dog wants outside. So let me. If you mind just holding that real quick? I gotta be. I'll be right back. I gotta look Yeah, he's winding up the door. I know what that means. <laughs>
1: How do you know? Did he infer? He knows what that means, and can he demonstrate it?
0: do you want to come in on something while he's out? Oh, sorry, I was muted. Sorry about that. I was just saying uh, we'll go for the next few minutes and let you guys shut her down. Just want to apologize to some of those who were showing up if I overstep my bounds. Uh, basically, Eric can testify. I was getting tutoring from both him and Jason on my own privately. And then I asked them to come on uh, for my own benefit just as a a discussion. And then we decided to actually make it public and then kind of set these parameters. But uh, it was really from the very beginning, uh, like I said, me getting tutored by both of them and bringing them both together. So if you guys felt that I was kind of stepping in, it's really because, honestly, this was something I wanted to do to learn. And uh, personally, I'll just be honest with you, I got lost about the last 10 minutes. So uh, there are those of you who are here who don't get lost in those things, but I do. So, I mean, I kind of relate to Leighton in some of these ways. You know, uh, I don't know. It just people aren't maybe gifted to understand, like, how far you guys are going down the rabbit's trail there. Uh, Maybe some of you guys can just sound off on chat. Do you understand what they were just talking about the last ten minutes? Um, I do know this, Eric, that the little bit that I have talked to Jason, some of the things he says, I've never heard from any of the lectures that I've had on presuppositionalism. Like he doesn't like the word exist, he doesn't like the word, you know, these different things. I don't know how. I've never heard Frame say that. I've never heard that in a Van Til discussion. Maybe that's more Clarkian. I'm I'm more newer towards Clarkian. I know Clarkian was
2: thing that I didn't. Uh, say it again. Clark was doesn't like the term "he's just." He didn't like okay, the term.
0: so yeah, that's where I don't know Clark as as well as probably anybody else. I like because it looks like a lot of people here are understanding a lot more of it than I do. So
1: well, go in, ahead, Jason, guys. In Jason's yeah. defense, I, w- I would say you know he does admit that you know he's he's a different a different breed, and you know I respect that. Um, yep. But uh, but for me, if I can say this uh, as respectfully as possible. Uh, so if I say with all due respect, I can be disrespectful right after saying it because that, that <laughs> covers. It's kind of like if, if if you say LOL after making a, a rude remark, it's okay if, as long as you say LOL. Um, here is is why what I said in the beginning. I said what I said that uh, you you if something's not logically consistent, it can't be from God. And, and yes, we did go a little bit deep just because you know I, at that point honestly I was just kind of it was just us us two going back and forth. Um, but I. I I often say that if you have bad philosophy, you'll have bad theology and bad apologetic methodology, and part of philosophy is metaphysics, and if you're rejecting a fundamental part of philosophy, then you're going to have to reject a lot of other things that are going to lead to bad uh, doctrine and theology and whatnot, and and this is not directly towards Jason. I'm just saying in general, uh, uh, false ideas or inconsistent philosophies and theologies lead to further inconsistent false beliefs, doctrines, and, and whatnot.
0: Yep. Does Clark reject, uh, the ability to identify a tree? Yes. Okay.
2: Yeah. And actually, it's kind of funny. I asked him for, for, um, I asked him to tell me what a tree is. I never, I got a general answer, but I never got a specific one.
0: Well, let me Uh, ask you this, Jason, doesn't the Bible tell us that God created trees. So doesn't have a meaning that doesn't that have a meaning to what a tree is?
2: Yeah, but there's a definition. There's a definition that we can, that we can, uh, can come off on now we cannot visualize a tree well you know like an empiricist would try to do, um, you know we can't we can't see exactly what those trees look like so we don't have knowledge of exactly what the tree was but we do know that he created a tree and we do have some idea of what a, a tree is based off of what the how the Bible defines it however it doesn't but you know when someone says something like a tree this goes into an argument that empiricists and rationalists used to have concerning concepts, um,
1: you yeah, know that's so not empiricist position this is a. Well,
2: there's, the, there's a lot of things you're saying that you're coming from an empirical perspective. I'm not saying you're an empiricist. I'm just saying this is an issue that rationalists and empiricists always have with each other. I mean, you do, you do use, you know, for instance, a scientific method to argue for the premises of things like the theological argument and the cosmological argument. So there, you know, but me, I would, you know, I could use those things, but I would view them as opinions. I wouldn't view those, those, um, those uh, empirical ideas as uh, knowledge.
0: Is there anybody here on chat, that wants to ask a question that you wish would be addressed.
2: Well, I had to go, I have to go uh, back again to let the dog back in, so I'll be right back. I okay. Here, I don't want to. Okay.
0: Up. Let me just ask you this, Eric, because you and I identify really similar in our soteriology and all of these things. Uh, and you also know me pretty well just from the times we've talked. Like, I think you understand my, my spirit, who I am as a man. Um, what do you think I am trying to say when I say, I start my apologetics with God and hold everybody accountable to their presupposition to the scripture. I mean, do you agree with that? I mean, wouldn't, w- w- doesn't that make sense to you? I'm just trying to understand like, how do you disagree with that? I, I, Cause I wouldn't see any way you could disagree from being a Christian. We're Christians. We start with God and everybody else has opinions and we tear them down and hold them. To the knowledge of God, right? I mean, is, is that what you're saying? And and all of this is just a lot of details, or help me understand where I you think I have it wrong, or if you agree or something? Please. Um, yeah. Well, uh, again, with all due respect, I
1: think when people say I start with God, I think it's just rhetoric. Uh, um, for example, when you when you bake a cake, do you start with God?
0: We you, <laughs> bro. You have asked me this question so many times. In different ways, I can't do anything without God. Nothing.
1: Can you can you show me what paint me a picture of what that looks like? When you bake a cake, you're basically implying that yes, you do start with God. How do you start with God when you bake a cake? Here's where. I've looked yeah. at the back of, of when I when I bake a cake, I look in the back on the instructions and nowhere does it say start with God. OK,
0: okay. He, here's where we've disagreed. And I've asked you to answer this question. You didn't say a yes or no to me. So I will give you a yes or no. Then you've got to give me a yes or no. OK, if I agree with the question. <laughs> sure. Oh, see, now well, I didn't say I don't agree with the question. I wish I knew as much as philosophy as you guys do. So I could just say that and get away <laughs> with it. But, uh, yeah, because this guy just denies existence and metaphysics. I love Jason. He just denies stuff all the time like that. I want to read more about Clark because I guess Clark-, Clark was just a big old pimp that was just slapping philosophy around, but he was well, brilliant. Back
2: back. Let me tell you something. Clark yeah. would go to these philosophical conventions, and people yeah. would present their views. And there was a doctor. I can't remember the doctor's name, but he was a really prominent atheist. And uh, he gave this he gave this elegant... Um, presentation, and then there was a chance for questions. Well, Gordon Clark got up and started walking, and everybody's like, "Oh no, it's Gordon Clark!" <sighs> uh, I mean, and, and the guy even after Clark had the gar- Clark started asking some questions, and the guy just basically this his whole position melted down on stage in a matter of a few questions. And then whenever Clark was walking on the hallway, that professor tried to just went the opposite way when they when he saw him coming. Yeah, so, I mean, it, yeah, So he really he had a he had a reputation in the academic community.
0: Yeah, but for some reason, Eric's not impressed with that. Like, to me, that impresses <laughs> me because I, I reject empiricism, and I don't know how to say it like you do, Jason. So he asked me this question. Eric but asked I, me I the question. I reject
1: empiricism, too, though. I, I reject empiricism. And, and being impressed with, you know, I mean, for example, Matt Dillahunty. He's an atheist. Yeah. He, knows a little, he knows enough philosophy to get by with rhetoric. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are impressed with him. Uh, I, I, I love the guy. Uh, I think we've become even friends over the past few years. But I'm not impressed just because I can see that it's just rhetoric and his okay. philosophy is inconsistent.
0: Well, let's go to yeah, Jason I think, here. I, I think, think Jason's going gonna...
2: to. Are, are impressed with either one of each other's uh, yeah. positions. Yeah. I mean, I think we're even. So. Okay,
0: I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get off on that. Okay, just Eric, will you ask Jason that question real quick before we go and just let's hear what he says?
1: Well, well, uh, Joe was saying that he starts with God for apologetics, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I said that. You know, with all due respect, I think when people say I start with God for X, it, a lot of it's rhetoric when it comes to what we're discussing. Because if you're going to say you start with God for everything, I ask Joe, do you start with God when you bake a cake? And if you do, can you please paint me a picture of what that looks like to say you start with God? Because when I bake a cake and I look on the back of the instructions, I've never read a, 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 bo- a, a, a box that for baking instructions that says start with God in the instruction on how to bake this cake.
2: Man, I get this from grocery store all the time. Where do you shop at?
1: Yeah, probably at some pagan store. <laughs> I, I don't know. It...
2: Yeah, you, uh, let me let me just make a distinction here. The cast of baking a cake and building a philosophical system that's rigorous and can answer different philosophical problems are two different undertakings. When I'm baking a cake, I'm dysfunctioning. Funct- I'm, I'm not trying to build a worldview. There's a difference there.
1: Okay, so then, so then you would agree that you don't start with God for everything.
2: Well, no, not for everything. I mean there's a lot of things that – from that from Scripture that I believe that cannot be inferred from Scripture, but I hold those as opinions, not knowledge. And maybe they are knowledge, but I wouldn't have any way to demonstrate it.
1: Okay, uh, those are opinions. Do you know that those are opinions? Because if you do, then you have knowledge without Scripture again, so you're just pushing back the goalpost.
2: I mean I – there – I don't know that – I mean as far as like you know, I know if there are opinions, I mean… I guess if they were true and I could demonstrate it, it would be knowledge by virtue of the definite of the uh, definition that I give. But as far as opinions go, knowing that's an opinion, uh, I would say yes, I do know because I can because I can show logically that it has to be an opinion.
1: Okay, well, then, well then that's what I'm saying. Then. then we're agreeing because otherwise that would lead to skepticism. But and logic you just itself, conceded.
2: I I, I, ju- I justify through scripture, though.
1: But but wait, but you just conceded that we have knowledge without scripture or special revelation, and that when you claim that you infer these things. From Scripture, you claim them as opinions, but you, not knowledge. Yet you can claim that you know, have knowledge that they're opinions, and yet once again, though this is apart from Scripture and stuff no, I, I don't agree with that at all. Well, I, I thought that's what you said.
2: Yeah, I mean, we I don't. I don't agree with that at all. I mean, I'm saying you actually do I know it's an opinion? The answer is yes, and I know because of because of inferences from logic, which I get from Scripture. That's how I justify it. I mean, so I start with Scripture, even in saying that I know it's not an opinion.
1: You you got the the three rules of logic from Scripture?
2: Oh yeah. I mean, you you could be taught the rules of logic, but then you got to be able to but then you got to be able to demonstrate them. And seen, like, you see, like law contradiction is literature throughout scripture. You know, and you got like Romans five twelve, which is a hypothetical construct of syllogism. I mean, there's logic all throughout scripture.
1: So and those are can, examples you, you of logic.
2: logic. but you know, even you, but you could you have to possess the truth before you can demonstrate it, just like geometry.
1: Uh, okay, I mean, I, I, I know it's getting late, and I agree, disagree, but I mean. That these things are not defined in scripture you may find instances in which these things are used in scripture but you won't find a definition of these in scripture, okay. much like the definition of truth is not yeah lying.
0: so so let me ask you how do you know you're baking a cake how do i know i'm baking a cake I'm yeah how I'm are gonna bake... you going to bake a cake without god tell me how you're going to bake that cake
1: <laughs> well i don't know that god comes in the picture when i'm baking. okay a cake, so I'm...
0: now you're now now you're saying you can exist in a universe without god
1: no, I'm saying I can bake a cake without needing God. How did you get, their-
0: the, how did you get the, uh, the flour? How did you get the mind? How did you get the hands? How did you get the, the ground to stand on? That's what so, I'm saying, Eric. Right, That's what right, I'm right, saying.
1: Right. So you're asking about the what and why something exists, which is yes. an ontological question.
0: Yeah, so the ontology to me is never, never, not one time separated from epistemology. Never, never, never. It can't be. It's impossible to separate them. My brother over here, Jason, doesn't even believe in the subject of ontology. (laughs) I just believe they're one in the same, okay?
2: I I, I I mean, I accept ontology depending on how
1: it's defined. Which (laughs) is metaphysics. Well, uh, yeah. So, anyways, um, I, I guess I because I, we just keep going back to it, and I, I don't want to, you know, be beat, okay. beat a dead epistemological non. Yeah, I mean, force. I think
2: I think Gary and I have exhausted this pretty well. I think it's a good. I think we've given enough for people to look at, and you know, okay. like I said, Dylan, I'm not saying anybody's obligated to accept my position. This is just the way I do it. Okay. Let Let
1: me ask you this: is uh, we'll be uh, going to Joe because you said they're one of the same. I mean, uh, I would say they're clearly not because they're different kind of things. Is there a difference between what? Uh, 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 what I know about something and why something exists in the first place?
0: Yes. Uh, when I say it's one and the same, I'm talking about it, as here's how I define ontology being. I, 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 ontol, ontologes or whatever in the Greek is being, right? That's what it means. Okay. Right. And then epist uh, is knowledge, epistemos or whatever in the Greek, right? Knowledge. Anology is the study of being study uh, ology at the end of uh, ontology is the study of being the study of knowledge. So what I'm saying is I can never do either without doing both at the same time. Yes, I can make differentiations, but I have to have being to know and I have to have knowledge to be. No. If, I, if I don't know that I be, if I don't know that I be, how can I be? And if I don't be, how will there be, any me right okay, so it's well, like i know i be and i be that i know or some, or god knows me see i i am known because god knows me i know myself because god knows me okay well uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> i think you be a little super
0: <laughs> no this would be me on a good day i'm just saying like when i do epistemology it's a being I'm yeah, okay. a being. So, God is so, a being, and we're in God's right. being, and we're learning things, and, and God is all knowing. So I'm only borrowing from what God knows. So a you don't rock, have to help me right now if you don't, if you don't have time. No, it's no, okay.
1: So, so, so a rock exists, it has being, but it doesn't have knowledge. You can have existence without knowledge. Now, however, in order to have knowledge, you need existence. So
0: even yeah, though Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. So we agree okay. there. That's what I'm trying to say. Thank you for saying it correctly. Yes. But, but
1: so then you would agree that we can have that, that something can exist without
0: having knowledge. Yeah, but God has knowledge of it. We're so not, it could not exist it. without any knowledge, something. But I'm a knower. First, See, I'm a knower and God's the ultimate knower. OK, so whatever I know is because he knows. And whenever I'm on the pursuit of knowing, I have to do it from my sense of being and I be a creation of God. So I can it's like this. I reason in the sight of God. I'm reasoning always in the sight of God. I'm never outside of God's sight. And anything I know is never something I know on my own. I know it because God knows it. So I can learn and God can have me grow. in. Like even Jesus in the incarnation grew in knowledge and in truth. So in his self-humiliation, he grew. And that's how humanity grows, right? So we know these things. But we can never know unless we be. And we can never be unless we're a creation of God. That's what stops the infinite regress. That's what stops the, the how do I know I'm baking a cake or I'm in the matrix somewhere? Is God said I'm not in the matrix? That's what I'm trying to say to you. If if you don't say God said I'm not in the matrix, you don't know if you're not in the matrix. And somebody had asked that question a yeah, while yeah. ago. Can you know anything for certain? Like, wouldn't you have to agree at some point for certainty, you have to go to Revelation? So, like there may be meet in the middle, like at some point here. Uh, wouldn't you have to agree that at some point you need certainty, and the only place you can get that is God's word? I am absolutely certain that I disagree with that. You don't think that God gives you certainty in His word? I don't think you need certainty
1: for knowledge, and I know Jason doesn't either. So you don't you don't need certainty. certainty is not a condition. For Jason, knowledge. you don't
0: think you need certainty?
2: Certainty is only psychological, and Eric, as Eric accurately pointed out in his discussion with Sign, certainty is not a property of a proposition.
0: Okay. Well,
1: see, we agree there metaphysically.
0: So no one here is certain they're a creation of God, that none of you guys have certainty over any of those? Well, I ne-
1: we never said that. I never said you can't be certain about anything. I said certainty is not a necessary requirement for knowledge. So, yes, I'm certain that I'm a child of God and creation of God, but I don't need to be certain about something in order to know it.
2: And you look at it this way. When you look at John the Baptist, all right, he had some doubts whenever he was in prison. And he sent out a, one of his people to talk to Jesus and ask if he's really the son of God. He has some doubts there because he didn't know what was going on when he's in prison, I'm guessing. But, you know, even, but what did Jesus do? He praised him. Right. So, I mean, you don't have to have certainty in order to know something. Now, am I certain that God am I certain that there's a God and the Bible's true? Oh, yeah, I'm certain. But my certainty doesn't demonstrate that the proposition is true.
0: You know, what's funny is that I started this journey a long time ago and this conversation may just be proof to me that I'm about ready to throw all of this out because, dude, what does the Bible say? Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Are you two brothers telling me now that your philosophical positions do not give you confidence and assurance? I'm saying that the Bible is not a book of philosophy and you
1: cannot use philosophical terms just because the Bible uses a similar term. Back then when that was written, there was, no, there was no notion of Cartesian certainty, which is what we're talking about. Cart, uh, Rene Descartes believed that if you cannot be certain about something, you can't know it. But surely this was not in the mind of David when he was writing uh, uh, these psalms or, or proverbs. Uh, so this type of notion of certainty, which is a philosophical concept, is not something they were writing about.
2: Man. So when you look at the Greek… <laughs> When you look at the Greek for um, Hebrews, yeah, uh, Hebrews 11 too, which is what you're referring to, and I, yeah. don't, I and I'm not some Greek guru. I just looked it up. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it says, but the short definition is assurance or reality. Um, so it seems to me that you know whenever, whenever the Bible talks about faith in this, it's not talking about you know like certainty or anything. It's just talking about that it's true. Um, that's, that's the way I've always looked at that verse. Uh, Let me just
0: ask you this. How in the world is a guy like me who is not a philosopher supposed to get any truth out of you guys when you guys disagree with each other, but then you, at the end say that you can't be certain about anything?
2: Well, let me, let me just say this, um, because I don't, I don't try and, you know, and I said, I came on here. I, I, you know, I, I didn't come on here to bash Eric's methodology. Um, I answered his questions and of course. And since he was attacking mine, I guess I, I said, well, might as well give it a shot. And, you know, and, yeah. and, and suggestions, some objections, too. But um, the thing is, is, you know, even if no matter how flawed a person is, God can still use it. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, so in, like I said, you know, and, and Craig, Willing Craig, you know, I don't know. I don't agree with him on a lot of things, but God sure used him in my life. Same thing with Ty. Ty kind of pushed me in this direction, and then he just created a monster, you know, a rabbit Clarkian instead of instead of a guy that does the same thing that he does. you know, I, you know, th- what I always tell people is, you know, you're talking about well, how I got, how can a guy let like me get truth from you guys? Well, I mean, just look, don't look to us, look at the Bible.
0: Yeah, now, see, that's my thing. See, I've been very humble with you guys in the sense of like always learning and being open, you know, because, but here's, here's my point as a pastor. Let me just get a little pastoral here and I'll let you guys have your last words. It, it almost seems like, and I know you guys don't mean this in any way, but it almost seems like you guys have these rules to a game that only certain people know. You know what I'm saying? And maybe that is the philosophical uh, discipline, right? But you get guys like me who spent 20 plus years in scriptures, done apologetics. And, and when I mean by the grace of when I say these things, I mean by the grace of God, who has won literally dozens, hundreds of people to the Lord, discipled them. I'm talking atheists, uh, uh, people from other religions and seen it happen, you know, and I think, Jason, you were saying that, you know, because maybe God uses me pragmatically or gives me methods or whatever, But then when we get to these discussions, I'm not saying it discourages me, but it almost turns me off because it's like, you guys don't even agree. You two are supposed to be the experts and you don't even agree. So it's like, what are we saying to the body of Christ? Maybe you could, you guys could address that at the end. Like, what are we saying to the person you think I'm confused? What do you think my wife or other people would say who have just not, you know, not studied philosophy? What is your bottom line to the church at large? What are we supposed to do with all this? Because to me, when I did go to the Bible, just like you said, Jason, that's why I was turned on to pre-sub. I was being called pre-sub before I even knew what it was, like 10, 15 years ago. Uh, they were saying, we, you know, atheists were calling me that because I reminded them of these guys, right? Uh, yeah. So what? So my point is, what are you guys saying to the body of Christ? Let's leave on a high note, like giving glory to God, giving the body of Christ something to do, to, to do ministry, where do you put this to, to the people at this point? And maybe speak to me personally, because I don't mind being embarrassed a little bit here. But yeah,
2: I'm i sorry, I have quite a bit to say. Um, go second, ahead. 2 Timothy 3.16 says the Bible is profitable for, for uh, correction and in instruction. And if that's the case, any people disagree, we can still go to the Bible to hash out those disagreements. It has to be true. Yeah. The Bible says it. Now, as far as like all the philosophical Mambo jumbo look, um, you only need to know this stuff if you're going to be talking about it. Okay. I always tell people, look, you know, if you don't know a lot about epistemology, don't try and be someone who who's an expert in epistemology. If you're not even interested in it, focus on what you're comfortable talking about. If you like science, you can go and talk to people about science. You know, you just have to understand that Scripture is is the authority. Uh, you can talk to people about that. I have no problem with that. I'm not saying that you have to do it exactly this way in order to be apologetic. God's going to be able to use you no matter what method you use. I would I would just say, do what you feel comfortable with. Um, cause I never tell someone, well, you have to do this and you can't do it any other way. There's a bunch of, options, you know, Eric gave people an option. Maybe some people like what Eric does and if they're comfortable with that. And they understand his position and they think they can defend it. Then by all means, they can, they can approach it from that position. Yeah. Um, now it might convince some, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, it doesn't mean that, but you know, I just, this is why I don't, I don't do a lot of debating other Christians because I have bigger fish to fry.
0: Yeah. Same here. Um, same because, here, bro. So, uh, you know, and yeah. I
2: respect Eric as a brother. We have disagreements and we're probably never going to agree in our methodology but that's okay i mean i support eric and what he does and i bet you he cleaned dillahunty's clock when he debated on the soul he i didn't did. watch but I'm he sure did he, he's a yeah. very smart guy um and you're and you're smart too you know and what makes you smart joe is that you're willing to ask questions and you try and you do your best to process it you're trying to learn and that's what a smart person does a, a fool just, just shuts out everybody um Thank so you. i mean just uh, my, my advice to you joe is like i told you over the phone argue in a capacity that you feel comfortable arguing with that's my advice
1: to you.
0: Thank you.
2: The Bible is your authority.
0: Amen.
1: Yeah. um, Yeah. Well, a few things I'd say is that uh, first I'd say is that this wasn't a teaching class in philosophy or apologetics. This was a discussion between two people who are, if I can say this without trying to toot our horns, two people who are seasoned in apologetics and debating and discussing and philosophy. So had this been a class in apologetics, I would have talked much differently and started in a different approach but yep. seeing how this was originally just going to be a discussion between us three and then you said hey let's just make it live in my mind it's still a discussion between me and jason people who understand concepts already so we're jumping in yep. deep and right away we're not having to start you know and get our feet warm um second thing i'd say is that uh as far as uh, being being discouraged first i'd say as anything in christianity it's not going to be easy nothing in christianity is easy in fact i if I often say, if it's easy, you're not doing something. You're not doing something right. Um, you know, the uh, we should expect these kind of difficult things. If we're serving a God who's omniscient, omnipotent, and infinite, then why should anything? We expect anything to be easy. Um, uh, you know, we, we have, So now I'm going to put on my, my teaching pastoral hat, if you will, uh, minister's hat. You know, we have men in the church who who can name to you football stats out the wazoo on the drop of a hat but they can't quote to you for scriptures. they can't give you an argument for god's existence and my point is that um if you're if you're passionate about something then you're you're going to be willing to, to to put in the time and learn i'm not talking to you personally just in general um uh, uh <clears throat> the bible says uh, uh paul tells us it, it, it indirectly implicitly says to avoid bad philosophy he says don't be deceived and captivated by vain empty deceptive philosophy and in saying that the best – I love how Morton puts it, and I highly recommend his book, Loving God With All Your Mind, for those who haven't read it. Um, in order to avoid bad philosophy, you have to know good philosophy. So implicitly here the Bible is telling us to learn and know good philosophy um, in, in order to, to – so as C.S. Lewis said, good philosophy must exist if for no other reason because bad philosophy exists and must be answered. Uh, moreover, you have the greatest commandment that says love God with all your mind. And, and again, now, now I'm, uh, I'm switching modes. You're going into like more of a teaching mode. A- and to love God with all your mind, your, your, your heart, your soul, your strength. We do a great job of loving God with our heart, with our emotions. You know, we cry at the altar. Great. We do a great job of loving God with our strength. We, we, we serve. We do bakes sales at church. Great. But then there's loving God with the mind. That takes effort, takes discipline, takes spiritual formation um, because, you know, of, of course, it's going to be hard and discouraging. And, you know, how would I explain this to someone like your wife or even my wife? I don't expect them to jump in the deep end and start learning about metaphysics and ontology and properties and other stuff. You start basic. We, we start with a, 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 a basic things of just logic. That, that's why I'm going to go back to what I said in the beginning. You know, you, you, uh, Jason said we go to the Bible. I agree there. But I would also just add to that is that a lot of different denominations go to the Bible. Unitarians go to the Bible. People who believe in annihilationism go to the Bible. Physicalists go to the Bible. Um, So it's not just going to the Bible. One of my criteria earlier I was saying is that it's not just the Bible, but what we believe and what we interpret the Bible to say must be logically, philosophically coherent, and consistent. So you find this, for example, that when uh, I believe as Paul was talking, he says, look, these people who are coming and saying that Christ did not rise in the flesh don't believe them. Now, if you understand the, the back the back story to that, the Gnostics believe that anything physical was sinful. So, so here's philosophy for you. They believe that anything physical was sinful. And since Christ was sinless, he could not have come in a physical body. Therefore, the resurrection was not physical because Christ's body was not physical. That's a philosophical argument. And Paul says reject it. Why? Because it's based on bad philosophy. So bad philosophy will lead you to bad theology. Uh, moreover, you have um, uh, things in, in just 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 in general concepts of God, like the Trinity. The Trinity is not something that we can just, uh, you know, you're going to teach in a, in a Sunday school class in kindergartens. You know, I'm, I, I, I've started to explain it to my daughter when she was four or five years old. And she's still learning. It. I'm still learning. It. So of course, these things are going to be hard. The Bible says to seek understanding, seek wisdom. This takes discipline. This takes practice. This takes a seeking. This, this, I believe this is also part of seeking God. Find me, search, knock the door, the door be open. Seek you will find, ask and, and you'll be answered. Uh, so we have to seek and, and and dig deep into these things. The more I have studied philosophy and apologetics and, and theology, the more my adoration of God has grown. For example, uh, in in natural theology and philosophy, philosophical theology, we learn that God is a maximally great being. Which and now what does that mean? It, it it means that when you have two competing ideas about God, and you weigh them out, you find what would a maximally great being be like. So, for example, if our worship of God should be Um, and and tell me if I'm getting too long-winded here because I'm just starting to preach. If our worship of God should be uh, uh, equated to his greatness, then let's just for a hypothetical thought experiment, let's pretend God could get better, hypothetically. not trying to be blasphemous. Let's just pretend God could get better. That would imply that in 10 years, my worship should be better because he got better, right? However, if God is a maximum great being, which he is, then we have to ask ourselves, is our worship now meeting up to the maximum great being that God is? So here you have philosophy putting us in our place in regards to theology, saying, are we doing our job as Christians, as worshipers, as ambassadors, as, as people made in the image of God and loving him with all our mind? Um, so, so, I mean, just, just in, in a nutshell, yes, we go to the Bible, but we also have to think that are our beliefs logically consistent and coherent? Um, is what we believe about god logically consistent and coherent because we serve a logically consistent coherent god so everything we believe must be that and if it's not that then it can't be of or from god and this is how we literally love god with our mind last thing i'll say second corinthians 10 5 4 and 5 says that spiritual warfare uh, our weapons are not carnal right so our weapons are for pulling down strongholds so spiritual warfare when i was growing up I was told it was demon possession, drug addiction, which it is. But biblically speaking, in that context, spiritual warfare is tearing down strongholds. What's a stronghold? It defines it in verse 5. Any thought, imagination, ideology, philosophy that goes against the knowledge of God. The Bible says our weapons of our warfare are to tear down and destroy these strongholds. So we are literally called, biblically speaking, to destroy arguments that go against the knowledge of God. This takes philosophy. This takes metaphysics. This takes epistemology. Knowing these things. So if you want to be an effective Christian in spiritual warfare, you have to engage in apologetics. I mean it's just that simple, which takes practice. But like Jason said, start where you're comfortable. I mean, if if you know, if you're into the philosophy of mind, like I am, the soul metaphysics, go with that. If you're into the science of it, go with that. Go to where you're comfortable. Let God lead you and you do your job in loving God with your mind and He'll do His in giving you the tools that you need and supplying you uh, with the words to speak and, and, and just the tools and the platforms that you need to be in.
2: And just a final comment to add to that, you know, God's given us all different abilities. I mean, we're supposed to function as a body, the church body. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, maybe not a, when we talk about epistemology, it's probably gobbledygook godly to a lot of people. And that's okay. Uh, maybe they're, you know, because I bet you that a lot of those people know more in other areas than I know. Uh, so maybe I sound very intelligent whenever I talk about certain subjects, but those are things that I, compared to other people, I am ignorant know. So, I mean, we just have to we just have to do our part and we have to rest in that God will use us. You know, no matter what position you have concerning man's will and God's will, God will use us mightily and and to uh, work out his own will. And we have to we have to recognize that it's not, you know, while we're called to do certain things like what Eric pointed out, which I uh, mostly agreed with. um, We, uh, you know, uh, God, God will God will uh, will use us, you know, uh, as flawed as we may be. And we just just have to realize it's not up to us, it's up to God. And we rest in that.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you for the encouragement, for the listener, for myself. I enjoyed it. Um, It's something how these conversations go the directions that they do. And uh, I think you guys gave us a lot to think about. And, man, look up these guys. Most of you are fans of them already. Somebody was asking for Eric's debate with Dilla Hunty. He, He did. He smoked them. Uh, He even Eric said many people thought he was a presuppositionalist, the way he handled himself there. But, uh, you know, it's just wonderful that we can support each other. And Jason, thank you so much for having such a kind heart and really giving people like myself an opportunity to learn presuppositionalism without feeling bad for not being a Calvinist and all of those things. So uh, you've been gracious to us. I'm sure, uh, Eric, you feel the love, right? I know you like Psy too, but don't you feel the love, Eric? You feel the love? Oh, no, Jason? absolutely. I, I'm very grateful to Jason uh, for his respect, for his
1: uh, being cordial. Uh, um, he asked me, uh, I won't mention names, but he asked me about something earlier, and I said, you know, when I had a discussion with someone else about this, I felt like they were, it, they tr- were trying to turn it into a who's more spiritual than the other person yeah. kind of a match. And I, I'm very thankful to Jason that he's respectful, and he didn't, he didn't play it out that way that, well, you're just uh, ignorant or dumb and not as spiritual as I am, and I'm the one that's, you know, doing God a service and all this and that.
2: Yeah, and, and really with the audience, you know, I want what I want the audience to do is to listen to what both of us say, and, and if you disagree with some things, you know, throw that out and take the things you agree with and implement it, uh, whether it's from Eric or me, so.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Okay, so on that note, guys, let's just hang... Let's you two hang out, please, for the after party. We'll make sure we got everything for, for us straightened out. I'll get you guys links. Otherwise, for everybody here, God bless and good night. The links will be up on YouTube and iTunes here pretty soon. Just go to the What Do You Believe page or to these brothers' pages, and they'll start posting it up. God bless.